Hey, uh, Mrs. Rumsfield. No tan lines this morning. Looks nice. That kid next door is a meatball. but I've got a little bit of wind and I think I'm going to burp at some point but I'm not entirely sure when uh, and uh, yeah, my name's Ian Loring and as always I am joined by Mark Foster Hello Mark Hello. Uh, and uh, yeah, we are back uh, this week um, we are, what are we reviewing? oh yeah, Insidious Chapter 2 is our main review of the week uh, we're also talking about some trailers, some one old, some um, one new, uh, some Twitter questions. I believe we've actually got a bit of listener feedback in the mailbox as well, which is nice. And um, the George A. Romare No Zombies Marathon continues with a look at his 1981 two and a half hour long bizarre <laughs> epic of weirdness and Tom Savini without a shirt on. It's Night Riders. Um, dude and a monkey at gmail.com at dudeboz at Ian Loring at dude and a monkey and uh, before I forget even though I'm sure Mark would, uh, would remind me um, congrats to uh, Noel Meller and uh, his uh, lady friend Claire on the um, surprising birth of their son yes, uh, it, it, Charlie Sam Meller who turned up I think about three weeks before he was expected wasn't yeah it? three weeks before he was expected and a, a, a couple of days before Claire was due to actually finish work uh, on maternity leave yeah brutal yeah um, don't know the circumstances behind when she went into labour or whatever, but I really hope she didn't do it at, uh, at work. I hope she was comfortable at home and it just all kicked off. Yes. And, um, but, um, I think yeah. we, we both just got a, a, a text. Uh, and what I will say is, is, is the, the suspension was absolutely killing me uh, with, with waiting for it to be public knowledge, we'll say. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I know you know. I noticed Noel had been a bit quiet on Twitter that day. Yeah. Like, just hadn't seen him at all. But like, it, it was kind of in the back of my mind. Then yeah, getting a text. So um, yeah, uh, congrats, guys. And uh, the, uh, Charlie is healthy. They went home yesterday as we record this bit of the show, and uh, all is well. So uh, congrats to Noel and Claire and Charlie, of course. So. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's get on. Is there anything, any other business, Mark? Um, no, I think I think we've, we've pretty much covered everything. Uh, I think we we need to get into this shit. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, 
Yeah, let's get on it. So, um, right, let's start off then with uh, the um, the poor play before the fucking. Uh, Mark, what trailers have you been watching this week? Well, there's actually been a, a couple out this week. Um, yeah, it's been a busy one, hasn't it, actually? Yeah, um, first one I'm going to talk about is uh, Homefront, which stars James Franco, Jason Statham, is directed by the guy who directed Kiss the Girls, I think, and a few other sort of decent mid-level sort of kind of thrillery action films. And it's written by Sylvester Stallone, uh, Homefront. <laughs> Uh, I'll be honest, knew nothing about this until the trailer arrived uh, and was very sort of surprised and sort of thought, ah, new Statham film. Oh, James Franco's in it. That's weird. Holy fuck, it's written by Sylvester Stallone. This is brilliant. (laughs) Uh, Looks great. Looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Looks like a Statham movie. Um, It looks like it's got those sort of twisty bits that Stallone likes to put in. And again, it's... James Franco once again moving out of what we would perceive as being his comfort zone and really just going for projects that absolutely interest him rather than ones that either pay the most money, give him the most exposure, or are part of a new calendar or anything like that. He definitely seems to be an actor out there who who gets a script or gets word of something and looks at it and goes, I like this. Why not? Yeah, Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he's probably just kind of having a bit of a laugh in well, yeah. this one as much as anything else, but fair play. It w- wouldn't surprise me is if he's thought, if he's looked at it and gone, oh, gosh, yeah, I wouldn't mind being a Jason Statham movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why not? It, it looks like that's going to be a lot of fun and a great, a great sort of thriller. And, you know, a, a solid Saturday night movie. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'll say as well, just on, on this... Um, I, I tweeted about it and how much I was looking forward to it. And Scott Weinberg, um, a critic for uh, Twitch and Fearnet, um, thought I was taking the piss. Mm. I, I, I will just say, I wasn't taking the piss in the slightest. No, yeah, I'm, he, he, you know, it, it's I, 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 he's been I've, I've, I've been following him. He's been following me for long enough that I kind of thought he'd know that I was serious in that, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's the thing is. And I think it's in in his defence. I think it's easy for people like to see tweets about a Stallone film and a and a Statham film and just assume people are taking the yeah, piss. Yeah, I think it's always one of those things where I always say to people when I mention that Stallone's one of my favourite filmmakers, they always go, "Really?" And like, "Yeah, really? Why?" And then you kind of explain, you say, you start explaining the films that he's made, and you kind of see him going, oh, "All right, well, yeah, I suppose." And like, "Yeah." Fucking, don't you mock Stallone? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that—that—I mean that—that—that's that, it, though, isn't it? I mean, it, it's because he's mumbly, mm. uh, you know, and because he had a bad patch in the in the kind of the nineties and the early noughties, it—it is just assumed. And I mean, like, I suppose you may as well move on to the other Stallone. Yes, I'm gonna. Um, the other one we got was the Grudge Match trailer, uh, which just kind of arrived without any ceremony, and it was just dropped. And this is the the great kind of comedy boxing movie where you've got Stallone versus De Niro. Uh, and it's one of those films where you've got my two movie heroes there in Sylvester Stallone and Robert De Niro. And I thought, right, this kind of movie that I already know everybody else would probably mock and probably hate. And like someone mentioned on Twitter, you'll get the constant 
aging bull things and stuff like that, which literally, if I see any any critic called aging bull or anything like that, I'm going to fucking cyber bully the shit out of them. Um, but I was thinking, you know what, I don't care. I, I know that in some way I will enjoy this movie. And then I watched the trailer and thought, oh, oh, fuck. It actually looks really fucking good. You know, I laughed a lot during the trailer. You've got Kevin Hart, who is going to bring that little bit more sort of vibrancy and, you know, natural comedy to it. Um, They're very much going to be poking fun at each other. There's a great moment where you've got De Niro's character saying, you know, why can't I do it? Well, because you're fat. You've got weak knees. You're fat. And it, it it's... You know, Stallone seems like the kind of guy who he could poke fun at himself. Whereas De Niro, a little bit less so. Um, and then you look at it, De Niro does seem to be getting his mojo back a little bit. Um, with it for the next for what he's got on his slate for the next sort of couple of years. Uh, and I just look, I laughed a lot during the trailer. I think it looks great. I wouldn't go that far, frankly. Um, but it it is very, it is as in your wheelhouse as a film is ever going to be, I think. So I, I think it's fair. I think it's totally fair enough that you think it looks great. I will say, I hope the goofier elements of the comedy aren't played up in the film as much as they are in the trailer. Thinking specifically them kind of beating the crap out of each other in those motion capture suits. No, I uh, I, I, I have it, a feeling that this is one of those trailers where a lot of the big jokes are going to be in the trailer and there'll be a little bit more weight in the actual film. I, I hope so. Because, I mean, like, the cast is a nice little cast that they've got together for this. I mean, like, even even um, Kim Basinger in there, you know. It, it's it's a good, mature cast. And I, I hope it's not going down the Last Vegas route. No, I mean, I, I didn't... I, as much as I'm intrigued uh, with Las Vegas in just the, I want to see exactly why these guys are in this film. Mm. Well, I, I read a but, thing where they were talking yeah. to De Niro about it and said, you know, because he, he originally, he was like, no, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm, I, I, his, his literal point of, of why he wasn't doing it was, I'm too old, too fat, uh, I'm too out of shape, I, I, I can't do it. And Stallone basically said, all those are the reasons why you need to do it. Because I guarantee you, a, a month with me, and you won't feel too old, and you won't be too fat, and we'll get you, we'll get you fucking rocking with this. And De Niro did sort of kind of come out and said that it is one of the most sort of fun roles he's had in years, where he felt like he was really, he felt good about what he was doing again. I said, where as a lot of films, it's felt more like a job. He said he's starting to get, he's starting to enjoy making films again, which it did feel a little bit like he was doing it for a while, for a good sort of six, seven years as a job. Well, fuck me. I mean, Hide and Seek was nearly 10 years ago, and that film is as, and Godsend, I think that probably was 10 years ago. Th- those are as job films mm. as De, as De Niro would would ever make and yet he kept doing job films mm. he, he, yeah. he, he had to fund his his, his Tribeca purchase didn't he 
Yeah, I mean it's yeah, I mean that that's the thing. I mean like he had he had the film festival to run and he he's got his restaurants. I mean it is uh he, he you know he's a working actor like any other actor. It it, it just and, and maybe it was just the fact that these other these these weightier roles weren't paying as well. And I mean I think it's also maybe also the fact that those roles weren't there because I mean now he can properly play the kind of the patriarch character as he is in the family uh, or Silver Linings Playbook. Whereas before, it, it, it kind of like, with, with, you know, with Righteous Kill, he's, it's almost like he's trying to prove to himself that he's still young. Yeah. Uh, you know, because there he is fucking, who is it in um, Righteous Kill? Is it Marissa Tomei? Carla Gugino. Oh, Carla Gugino. And it, it, it just, it's gross. Yeah, it's just like no, De Niro. You should. I mean, like not in a not in a old people having sex is they shouldn't do it or anything. But it's just like I don't. Nobody wants. <laughs> well, you know what? Nobody wants to see De Niro banging Carla Gugino on screen at the age he was in Righteous Kill. No. You know, and yeah, it kind of, like he was doing it, and it, like him with Al Pacino, and it kind of felt like they were just like trying to recapture something. It felt forced. Yeah, there, yeah, there, yeah. There wasn't an organic kind of play behind it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. But like I say, I have a very... Um, I, I'm looking through it through more than rose-tinted glasses, we'll say. I, I, the thing is, I think my, your rating of it, of Grudge Match, will be my rating plus a one out of five. Oh, easy. Yeah, well, I, 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 I could, I could, I could already, I, I already think there's that, yeah. that thing there, and I, I, and I, I, that's totally fine. Yeah, no, that, I, know, I, 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 would, I would, I would completely agree with that. It's one of those films where I might come out of it, and everybody else might be going, "That was terrible," and I'll go, "I loved that," and I will know that, that part of the reason why I loved it is because I get to watch De Niro and Stallone for yeah. two hours just taking a piss out of each other, and that with, I, I'm with, fine with that. <laughs> Which I think is fine because I think seeing actors like actors you like together in films, you know, it, it, it's one. Of, it, I mean, it's a joy of of watching films mm. and, be, and being so into films, seeing actors you like on screen together. So I, to, I totally understand that. Mm. Uh, next one I watched was the trailer for Mr. Nobody, uh, the Jared Leto movie, which came out in Canada like two or three years ago. Mm. Film Junk reviewed it eons ago yeah um but it's 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 coming out in the u.s and it's coming out over here i think later on this year um it's one of those where i watched it and thought ah. and i, I used to but kind of thought, I'm, I'm sure that this has been out there for a, a fair amount of time and yet nobody has kind of mentioned that they've seen it um uh, which kind of rings a bit of an alarm though yeah yeah um I also watched the trailer for Push. The oh, the Captain Hardwick. Yeah, um, it's. Um, I've been talking about films that were that have already been released. Um, I, I I don't remember um, Push being released in 1997. So um, why is Catherine Hardwick made a late 90s movie uh, in 2013? It it looks. It it looks. So dated, and I only watched a fucking trailer. Yeah, I I haven't even watched the trailer for that. I I have so little interest. It, I, I, I my interest stretched to ah, oh, it's a Naomi Browning movie. Ah, oh, it's Catherine Hardwick. I don't mind some of Catherine Hardwick's movies, and I watched it. And I was like, oh, it's terrible. And I thought, yeah. oh, maybe it's telling. Watch the Red Band trailer. I watched the Red Band trailer, and I watched the Red Band trailer and thought, 
Oh no, that that was worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just looks terrible. Uh, I think that was about all I caught this week so far. Yeah. Fair play. Um, I'll, I'll just add a couple. Yeah. Um, the trailer for Escape from t- uh, from Tomorrow, uh, which is this bizarre looking film that played. It was either Sundance or South by Southwest, and it was it it was kind of seen that it, it might never see the light of day. Um, have you heard of this? The name rings a bell. I think I've seen it mentioned more than her. Yeah, I mean, the, the poster is insane. I can't believe they're getting away with this. Basically, the, the, this guy surreptitiously shot a film in Disneyland without yes, them knowing. It, yeah. And and it, it's... I, I, the thing, I mean, the, the trailer, it basically seems to be about a man who takes to his, fam- his family to Disney World and goes mad. Uh, which, which is awesome, but the the poster is like Mickey Mouse's hand, with like with like the white glove on, covered in blood, <laughs> and it just like how I mean it, it must it must just be because like if isn't it like you can rip things off as long as it's for satirical purposes or something like that? There's 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 something about being a uh, being able to. Being able to do, being able to do that and not get in trouble. I, 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 yeah, I, there's, I, there's some little, there's some little way you can kind of say, oh, it's for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like, it, it, yeah. It, I, I, they, they must be going along that way because there's no way anyone at Disney would ever let you fucking do this. Oh, I mean. That. But I mean, like the, the the trailer. I mean, it looks interesting. There's there's certainly interesting imagery in it, and it's shot in black and white. I am very intrigued, but I wonder. Like the the, the trailer's full of quotes saying, unlike anything you've ever seen before, one of the most daring, blah blah blah. And I'm wondering if that's more the filmmaking process than the film itself. Yes. Um. I I would certainly be worried about that, but I am intrigued to see it. Um. But I I wonder if it's going to be an awful lot of hype and nothing to it. But see and um pardon me there we go sorry um i finally i watched the uh trailer for the last days on mars which um i believe is getting a uk release at some point or uh this this year anyway actually not finally because there was one i saw in the cinema that i hadn't seen previously um yeah the last days on mars so this is uh liev schreiber and olivia williams um they're on mars they're about to leave there some bacteria gets in and then people start turning into killers um it it looks like any number of horror slasher films about an infection and i mean it it, it looks like a kind of just like a prometheus on mars um i mean i'll watch it because it it, that's kind of like that's kind of my ballpark but the the trailer wasn't very inspiring and um yeah when i was uh when i went to see insidious 2 yesterday i saw the trailer for in fear uh, which uh, which played at Fright Fest and I think got pretty good notices as well. Um, interesting trailer. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that. Yeah. Um, it doesn't it doesn't really give you a hint of what it's about at all, really. No. Um, but it's it's I don't know. It was somewhat mood setting, but it didn't really have any major punch to it. A lot of horror films set in the woods recently. That's true. A lot of horror films set in the woods recently. I mean, I, I, I also the the trailer for How I Live Now, that's set in the woods. Oh, the Saoirse Ronan film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, bored halfway through the trailer, to be honest. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, 
I, I will go and see that unless I'm... It's like, it's one of those ones that it's like, if I'm a bit too busy, then I won't be that bothered if I miss it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Did you get another trailer for The Call? Uh, no, do you know what? I haven't seen a tra- I haven't even seen the trailer for The Call oh, like, in, in the it. cinema. Or... You, should, you should watch it, because then it, it means you don't have to watch the movie because you'll have watched, oh, like that, you'll have watched the trailer. And two things. One you'll know exactly what happens in the movie. And two, you'll never, ever want to watch that movie. But I know I will watch it at some point. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean, I... I... When I watch it, I go, God, that looks terrible. I really don't want to watch that. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to sit down one day and I'm going to watch it. I mean, I tell you what, I mean, I'm just having a look now and um, that How I Live Now comes out the same weekend as Metallica Through the Never. Oh. Uh, Sunshine on Leaf, which I will watch just because it's directed by Dexter Fletcher. Um, thanks for sharing the Mark Ruffalo Gwyneth Paltrow film and uh, the To Do List, uh, the Aubrey Plaza oh. film. So I, I, I don't know. That's a busy week. Even though the week before, though, the twenty seventh. Fuck you now. What are we going to review that week? Blue Jasmine. Yeah. Um, Prisoners and Runner Runner. There's something else out that week as well. Sure, there's something else out that week. Austin Land, Girl Most Likely. Uh, there was something else that I looked at and thought, that looks fucking good. I can't remember what it was. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, oh, fucking hell. It's just one of those things where, like, next week, there's, like, nothing of that much interest out. Mm. And then the next weekend, for me personally, anyway, there's, like, three films I actually want to see. You know, and especially, particularly Prisoners, which I also saw the trailer for uh, before Insidious 2. Because that's getting really, really good writers. It is and it's not yeah. a it's not a film I would have bothered seeing based on the trailer, but based on like everything that's coming out about it, it's just, they're saying like it's a really, really good modern day adult aimed thriller. It's like fuck, I've got to go and watch that. Yeah, I like a good thriller. Yeah, yeah, but um, I don't know. Anyway, let's um, right. So that was uh, that was trailers, and uh, let's move on. So um, we are going to get into our review of Insidious Chapter 2. Uh, here's a clip, and then we'll uh, get into it. Uh, oh, fuck's <laughs> Sorry. Right. Gassy. Yeah, just a bit. Um... Well, I'm going to be at Grandma's house for a little bit. Nothing's going to bother us. Not anymore. We have our son back. We are a family again. in the hallway. Is there something wrong with Daddy, Mom? 
get our son back, and something evil followed me. There's someone standing in front of you. He's talking to you. What's he saying? He's got your baby. 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 Okay, so that was a clip from the uh, trailer or a clip from Insidious Chapter 2, directed by James Wan. Uh, you know, the, the vagaries of film releasing mean that despite the fact that The Conjuring was shot like a year and a half ago, uh, that came out last month and we've got Insidious Chapter 2 this month. Both directed by James Wan. Uh, this one is apparently going to be his farewell, at least for now. Uh, to horror and is obviously a sequel to the film from 2010 or 11 um i think 2011 is when it came out in the uk yeah. but it, it kind of had been playing like festivals and stuff previous to that and uh it stars basically the same people as the the first one uh with a couple of editions including the girl from the house of the devil um who is now playing a mother of like a 10 year old boy yeah which is weird, um, but we'll, 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 yeah, we'll get into that. Um, Mark, uh, you came out of Insidious Chapter 2 a couple of hours ago. What did you think? I, on a whole, I, I, I enjoyed Insidious Chapter 2. Um, it's, I mean, the the thing that I think James Wan and, and you know, the, the team around him do well is they make, they make horror films that, Horror geeks will pick out bits within and, you know, I'll have little moments of sort of saying, oh, well, that's very reminiscent of this and that's very reminiscent of this. But they're also, as well, they'll play well to a wide audience. You know, they're, they're very... They tick the right boxes. It's all about atmosphere and, you know, loud noises and jump scares and stuff like that. And it's, it's that kind of thing. It's not going to take you too deep into a mythology or anything like that. It's all very surface levels within it and i enjoyed that about this i was able to go into the movie uh i remembered you know i i enjoyed insidious and i meant to watch insidious before i went back into this but i just i ran out of time didn't get to watch it so i remembered that i enjoyed insidious but i remembered vaguely what happened but couldn't recall it exactly um but i knew i knew the kind of ideas and straight away within sort of like 10 minutes, I was going, alright, well, yeah, that happened and that happened. I'm back, I'm back. I know what I'm doing now. I know where I am. And this kind of drops you in sort of nicely and it, it, it flows straight through. Uh, I think it's it's not as tight as it could be. Uh, I think it's possibly, I think even though it's only what, an hour and 45, I think it is. I think it's maybe ten minutes too long. I think sure. there's a little bit, there's a little bit too much. And usually with these things, there's too much in the middle. That's where usually where films get baggy. I think there's too much at the beginning of this film. Um, but on a whole, I, I actually I, I really enjoyed Insidious uh, Chapter Two. Um, it's atmospheric. There's you know, there's enough characters in it so that you're not just with one or two characters all the time. There's enough going on to keep you you, you interested and you wanting to find out what, what's going on and 
and where the, where it's taken you. And yeah, I, I I definitely say that I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty much on the same page actually. I I had a good deal of fun with Insidious Chapter Two. Mm. Um, I I I put this out on Twitter yesterday, but no, I mean, one person got back to me, Chris Byrne, but um, uh, I think because generally the word on Insidious Two is is rather lukewarm mm. or negative, and I have to wonder. This film, if you enjoyed the first film as a whole, and particularly if you were all right with the third act of the first one, I don't see how you couldn't enjoy this. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, because that was the, the the big thing about the first one was, was you'd get a lot of people saying, "Yeah, it was great, it was great, it was great," until that last twenty five minutes, and I was always like, uh, "Really? You know, I I, I thought it was all right." You know, I, I I didn't understand the, the the fact that so many people, and it was a lot of people, you know, enjoyed Insidious up until that last shot, twenty five minutes, yeah. half an hour point, and I never really had a problem with it. I I I personally didn't see how Insidious went so far in a different direction in that last sort of twenty five minutes that 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 seemed to annoy so many. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. Uh, it's, because, I mean, the, the, the thing is, I think this one, it is, it is a bit campier, campier than, than the first one as a whole. Um, and, but I think what's good about it is it's Lee Wanell and James Wan basically throwing as much as they can in terms of horror movies at the wall mm. and seeing what sticks. And I, I rather admire that. I like that it, they go full bore. The, 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 the you know, like the kind of the, the, the timeline twisting parallel universe-ness of it is, is really well done. And it's much more interesting than most sequels because, you know, a lot of sequels are basically the same thing happening again. Yeah. This is very much a continuation and it doesn't give you much uh much of a handle on on catching up it's like if you don't remember the first one there's a bunch of shit in this that's going to have you scratching your head and frankly i like that yeah that was i mean that was the thing i i i'll be honest before i went in i was sort of going and thinking right what happened in insidious and try to remember um what what kind of happened and at first i thought well i'll you know there'll there'll be a you know almost like a visual previously on Insidious at the start of it, you know, as, as close to that where you get with a movie where it'll, it'll replay a bit. And I thought, you know, that's what I'll get back in. But then I was in a massive queue um, going in to get into the cinema. And I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll have a quick look and just have a quick scan over the um, the plot of Insidious, the first one, on um, Wikipedia. And that'll yeah. jog my memory. And, oh, of course, that's what happened. That's what happened. And that, you know... That's what it did, and then you know, within the first sort of ten minutes, as the, because you know, atmospherically and, and, and visually and stylized wise, it is it's very similar. But then again, it's made by the same people, and it's set in the same world, so it's supposed to be. That's not a criticism. Um, I started pulling it out and going, well, yeah, of course that happened and that happened and that happened, and that's when I started piecing it together. But yeah, I like the fact there that it wasn't there was no you know, visual previously on to it. It, it, it did just drop you in as saying right. This is the other. This is the movie. This is what happens afterwards. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it very much earns the chapter two mm. title, I think. Be, you know, because it, it's because of the whole continuation thing. Now, I, I mean, I, I think there, there's stuff in here. I mean, when the first one came out, like the the, the kind of like the timeline shifting kind of stuff and the the kind of the, the answers to certain things that happened in the first one. I'm thinking specifically of the um, the scene where the, the house alarm goes off yeah. and there's the, the guy in the baby's room. I, I, you know, I don't think they were thinking, oh, well, this is because it's Josh in a parallel universe, blah, blah, blah. I don't think they were thinking that at that time. But I like the, 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 yeah, the way that they actually work in here. I do think that's quite clever. And the whole mythology, I mean, there's no way... There is no way that the woman in the dress in, in the first one, they were thinking, oh, that's actually going to be a cross-dresser who's been made to cross-dress by psychological abuse by his mother. No, it's, it's, the thing is, is with, um, you know, um, James Wan and Lee Wanell, they, they seem to have a... They, they're definitely... They're very inventive in their writing. Um, and they've, they both seem to have a good kind of a knowledge of horror tropes without just being um without harping back to the horror films they admire we'll say it's not it's not homage to them it's they've got an understanding of right well this all this will be creepy and this will be cool and what could we do it's like they both sat down with um insidious and went right insidious 2 how can we make it not crap and yeah, they went, yeah, I mean, right, and they've almost gone with a list of stuff, and they've gone, and they've written stuff, and gone, duh, duh, and they've gone, wait, what about this? And the other one's gone, that'll be crap, and he's gone, yeah, well, wait, right, well, how can we take this character, what can we do with her? Well, we'll do this, and then, oh, no, that shit, we'll do this, that's brilliant, yes, yes. And it's like that, like, there's been a, a process to it, not just, oh, shit, we've got to write a number two, because the first one was successful. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, it's it, it's weird just looking at the reaction of it because I saw James Wan tweeted the other day saying that like he's he's making films that somehow are almost striking with the mainstream audience more than the horror fans, and horror fans are the ones coming out saying it's too much, it's it, you know, it's too far, it's too whatever. When it, it you know, aren't, aren't I, I can't help but think that in 2013 with horror, aren't we looking for something that, that, that goes a bit too mad, goes a bit too weird? Do you know what else we're looking for around now with horror at the moment? Something that isn't trying to be uh, an, a, an 80s horror made now. Mm-hmm. Something that isn't a remake. And something that doesn't just rely on being shocking or being gory to categorise it as being a horror film. Mm. Um, and that's what what Insidious. That's what I got out of this movie. It's a great, it, you know, what I said about um, Homefront. That that's a, looks like a great Saturday night movie. This is yeah. a great Friday night horror. Yeah. You know, it's a. It's the sort of thing you know that you could recommend to most people. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what I also like about it and the whole continuation thing is the fact that it is some, something different again, though, because it's like when all this stuff starts happening, it's not like particularly to Rose Byrne. It's not uh, her character. It's not her thinking, oh, well, maybe the wind just got in, blah, blah, blah. Straight away, she's just like, it's still fucking happening. Yeah. 
that we, it hasn't been fixed. You know, it hasn't been fixed at all. All right, we've got our boy back, but it's still happening, and my husband's acting awfully fucking weird yeah. now. And it, it, you know, it's, I, yeah, it, it does. There's the don't try and play it down and give you sort of thirty minutes of oh well, when will they work out that it is? It's very much uh, no, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like the fact that she's not lulled into too much of a sense of security by Patrick Wilson. And by the way, Patrick Wilson is very good in this. He, he he's he's only like he does get a bit hammy. But it's almost but, intentional. But like that think, scene with the old psychic guy. But don't you think that... Yeah, no, I was just going to say, the, the scene with the old psychic guy where he kind of turns, he's almost playing... He's playing that up in the kind of the... the kind of the melodrama kind of... kind of way. But, I mean, like, his character, like, the, 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 the guy who's possessing him... It is turned up to eleven anyway, so it's like that 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 whole character and the setup of that character, uh, you know how campy that is. So Wilson like kind of just plays into that, but there are other there are moments where he's uh, he is actually quite creepy. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's very good in this. He is, he becomes he becomes a douchebag very good as well, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of a general and like you said, very creepy. But I think that the that that. That slight kind of hamminess of a play um, is very um, Hammer esque, and not like the the camp Hammer myth that all Hammer movies are really camp, and not that kind of camp, but that very knowing of themselves and playing into it and playing up to this, you know, like you said, the turned up to eleven kind of thing. And if you're gonna do it, don't do it subtly. Go for it. And I think also as well, I was reminded of Hammer with the fact that the there's the big at the start where it says insidious. It, it's in that that red lettering and I love that, I love the opening oh. titles to both of these films and it, it, it and that, that music yeah and, and that reminded me a little bit of of kind of you know proper Hammer films and I got that out of it and I thought that that, that was this was a little bit like that it was creepy and he was he became a bit of an arsehole and like you say when he's when he's dealing with the psychic guy and he's kind of saying to him you know. What have you got behind you? What, what, what you're hiding there? And you can see he's hiding somewhere. And he's like, he, he's almost kind of daring him yeah. to call him Parker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah. So I mean, that's good. I mean, uh, Rose Byrne, it, she's not asked to do that much apart from just be tired looking and terrified. She's, uh, she does a lot at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I don't know. But then again, would I rather watch her in this or I give it a year? I'd rather watch her in this. So, yeah, there's that. Well, um, one thing I will say is that is the worst acting of a person getting strangled I have ever seen. What, Rose Byrne? Yeah. Oh, yeah? yeah. Just, uh, that was the moment where I thought, oh, come on. Because she literally is just arms sort of stretched out as as tense as possible and like swinging and it just that was I was a little bit like oh that that looked that that looked bad that looked bad I can't well I it, it, it didn't come to mind for me but but, but fair enough what did you think of, here's a question what did you think of the fact that um for the young elites they still use Dinshin, <laughs> uh voice yeah, I don't know. I thought that just kind of fit into the kind of the, the slightly campy, goofy. We're we're kind of having fun with this yeah. thing. 
Either that or the girl just wasn't very good. Well, I, it, it, it seemed to be, I don't know, it may be, I thought at first, I thought, when it came out, I thought, well, that's, you know, you worked out who she was supposed to be, she was supposed to be young, like that. Then she started talking, I was like, what? Right, thinking, and at first you thought, you think, all right, it, is that just a really, a, a girl who has just nailed the voice? And then it's like, no, no, no. It, it's not, they've just used... And I thought, uh, well, is that a... Well, maybe, maybe it is just the fact that she does have such a recognisable voice. Mm. Um, well, it's it's also the voice of a woman 40 years older. That is the problem. Or 30 it? years yeah, older. Yeah, that is, that is the problem. It, it does have that. But then I, I kind of thought, well, do you know what? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's playful enough that I can I can get on board with it. I will say that girl was quite fetching. She had a very I, nice bottom as well. Yeah, yeah, no, she did. But that would that would put me off. Just the fact that, you know, she's like whenever I think of her, she sounds like Lynn Shay. Yeah, it won't put me off that much, to be honest. That well, that's interesting. But um Yeah. Um but yeah, like and as the same beforehand as well. I mean like it, maybe it's just because she was in House of the Devil, but I it's. I find it weird that in the House of the Devil, she was like a college student, and she was probably like early, early twenties. And it did. I mean, okay, they probably filmed this like five years afterwards, but she's now the mother of like a ten-year-old boy. Yeah. It just. Well, that that, that it was nice to see Jocelyn Donahue in something again, and I mean, like straight away, straight away, I was like, "Fuck me, that's the girl from House of the Devil." I didn't need to check like check it or anything. I was like, "Oh, cool." You know, so but I mean, it's that that's that's a well, shame. Well, actually, to be honest, uh, Justin Donahue is the same age as me, and you've got a nine-year-old. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, no, do you know what? You got me. That's that's fair enough. It, it she it, she's just quite young looking for her age, but then again, you're quite young looking for your age as well. So, it, you know, it is, it is what she's, it is. She's also going to be in the King of Cups, the next Malik film. Oh, fair play. Nice. Hmm. Uh, um, but I, I, I will also say, as, uh, actually, as well, um, there were, there were uh, a few jump scares that got me. Yep. Um, there was one sequence in particular which really got me. There was two. Um... Rose Burns walking down her hallway and it's like already the scary kind of stuff's happening. And then the toy, there's like toys in the hallway and they just throw themselves around. Yeah. And, and then she walks into like the lounge and then that woman's like, don't you dare. And then slaps her. Those two, the toys being chucked and the woman, both of them fucking got me. Yeah. And that's that. I love that Two proper, jump scares not a jump scare and then a fake out jump scare two proper actual there's shit going on jump scares in the space of probably 20 30 seconds mm. i mean the, i mean it, it, it's intense where it needs to be is this film yeah that, that, that's the great thing is i mean this is why this is why you watch horror it's it's for that those those feelings it's for those those moments where you you, you get tense and then you go you know, and then you have that jump scare. I mean, I, you see a lot of people now complaining about horror and say, like, it's just jump scares, you know, or jump scares. Like, that's horror. Jump scares are part of horror. That's that's the beauty a, of horror. It's a good jump a well scare. Done, a well-engineered jump scare. Yeah, a well-engineered jump scare. Yeah, like you say. Uh, sorry, I just talked all over you there. Is no, no. is fantastic. It's, it's why I'm such a big fan of Drag Me to Hell, 
because Raimi, with that film, and I, I, I think moments in this and The Conjuring as well, and the first Insidious, and also De uh, Dead Silence. Um, yeah, Dead Silence. They've got. Yeah, exactly. They've all got moments where they're playing around with your expectations, with the jump scare, with the, with the rhythm of them. And also and as well, there's not there's not a lot of fear counts in this. You don't have the right for every one jump scare, we're going to give four fear counts. Yeah, yeah. Which which often you can get, and then you get to a point with a film where you're like. You know what? I can't even even get built up to the fact that this might be a jump scare because it's probably just going to be another fake out. And then when it does, you go, you go, ah, no, I was wrong. It was a jump scare. Um, you, you are. It, it does. It does drag you in with that that tension and that you know where you start kind of sitting and your your arms move up a little bit and you start getting a little bit guarded and thinking, shit. Yeah. 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 I mean, I. I... It, that does happen with this. I mean, like I, I, I mean, I will say I never got to with. I mean, with the Conjuring, there was one moment where I actually caught myself kind of clutching my my armrest. Yeah. Um, and I didn't ever get that with Insidious Two, but there there was one moment in in the Conjuring, and I actually said out loud as well, "Oh fuck that," <laughs> and it just like I. Have you seen The Conjuring? I've not seen it yet, no. Okay, I, 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 it's just like, I, I, I try and remember to tell you, but there was one bit where it just, there was something that was about to happen, and I was just like, oh. And, you know, it, it, I, yeah, I, I really, really, really like James Wan. I like yeah. his whole thing. I've, I've liked every single one of his films. He, he, he does seem to, like, I, I was thinking that throughout this, he, he's, He's got a, a good level of control, I think. I think that can sometimes be the the thing you need with horror is 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 the the ability to say no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Rather than the ability, to, rather than the the idea to go, I'm going to do this. Is uh, sometimes to sort of to read it and say. I I don't think I, I don't think I'm going to put that there. I think I'm going to put I'm going to put this here. I'm going to dial that back a little bit, and then that'll make that scene better. And doing stuff like that, and there's a there's a certain craft to this movie. It looks great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it does. I mean, it, it's interesting that the um the budget of the film. I mean, the first Insidious only cost a million dollars. Um, which is which is insane. And this one, I mean, the budget was five million. And I don't think that particularly shows on screen. I wouldn't be surprised if it was more they told Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson uh, with the first one, we're only going to pay you this for this, but if we have you back for a sequel, we'll double your pay. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I was I was gobsmacked that it was it was only five million. I thought it was a twenty million movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's. I don't know. It's it's the it's the digital cinematography, and I mean it's. It's a very, very classy look. And I mean, I even I, I like the world of the further as well. I like how it is just basically kind of black, which is kind of illuminated by this kind of like bluey gray light. You know, I, I do like the, the, the world of the further. And I mean, I think if they do more of these, which actually I will say as well, I like the fact that it does end on a yes, we could do a sequel, but it's not. 
it, it, it doesn't have to be a sequel really featuring any of these characters. No, it, it, I, I like, yeah, I like the fact that, that essentially what they've done is um, they've closed the book on that family. On the family, and yeah. If, if they want to do it, it, it literally, I think, because I don't think James Wan, I don't think maybe he wants to do another Insidious movie, but I would think he'll very much be part of it if it happens as a producer uh, and possibly even as a writer with uh, Lee Wanell. I could see Lee Wanell writing and directing Insidious Chapter 3. I, I could see that. Um, and I could see that, you know, it being another one where it's a story by James Wan and Lee Wanell and screenplay Lee Wanell and directed by Lee Wanell. I could see that happening because they've gone... And I liked that, the the ending. I liked the 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 basic the passing of the torch for who were the main characters. Yeah, 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 yeah. To where, you know, it links and says, right, they're done. Patrick Wilson and Roseburn, they're fine now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, th- there's the the possibility that 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 if they want to and an idea comes about, they can quite easily go back to that. But it's right. This is it. This is the people that are now there and. We've set it up to go bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her reaction at the end is is great. I mean, yeah. I, I just the fact that there's obviously something there. I mean, I I I, I love that. I, I I mean, like the first one, it was kind of it was kind of saying, oh yeah, there there, there really there, there could be a there could be a sequel here. But at the same time, even the ending of the first one, it was more just kind of like a mean ending, you know, and it didn't have to have a sequel, but then we've got this one and they're able to kind of take on uh, aspects of domestic abuse. And um, I mean, the crazy, crazy, crazy shit with, um, with the guy, whatever the fuck his name is. Um, Parker Crane. Yeah. I mean, Parker, I mean, that, that flashback scene where the kid like paints the picture for the mum, mm. you know, it just, it's almost like you you're kind of watching like a Betty Davis fucking like film or something like that, you know? It, 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 yeah, it, it, it's it's arcing to something not horror related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like it's some like crazy fucking melodrama, and I I really enjoyed that. I mean, I I think we're probably running out of stuff to say on Insidious too, but um, it it had, it, it, it had less because Insidious one thing that struck me about Insidious. Uh, when I first watched it, was th- there was a lot of a lot of kind of uh, comedy there. There was a lot of fun and com- camaraderie between um, the Specs and Tucker character. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. was there was the same amount of camaraderie, but there was less comedy there, um, which I think worked better within this movie. Um, but they their characters became more rounded within this, and you could see that they could be they could be a bigger part of the next movie. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, if if it was them like kind of communicating with Lin Shay, and you had a, a bunch of new victims, I I I would happily watch I, that. If if this creative team, well, that's did it. Chapter three, fine. I think if if, if somebody else is writing it, um, and something else behind that and it was just based on characters created by, then I'd be a little like, oh, this is just for the money. But then again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't see why Lee Wanell would would come back to it as an actor if he wasn't involved as a writer. 
I I bet with the with, with the way it's opened. Um, and I mean, like I mean, I will say as well. I, I like I never see the Cardiff Cineworld have sold out screenings, but apparently they've been having sellouts from Insidious Two all weekend. Wow. Uh, uh, you know, and I mean, I never, ever, ever see that well, cinema have... Good. You know, yes, it's not my favourite horror movie of the year, um, but do you know what? If this film does really well, I'll be really happy, because, you know, we might get a third. I've enjoyed the first two movies. They're solid seven and a half, eight out of ten, you know, horror movies to me. And that ending of that one did make me go, do you know what? Yeah. Okay, I'm up for another one of these. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm taking a look at the uh, the stats now. Five million dollar budget, um, forty one million dollar weekend in the US, uh, double what the distributor was expecting, and apparently it opened number one over here. Um, the site hasn't got the uh, the box office, but opened bigger than the Conjuring and the Purge. You know, this will, I mean, this will top. I would say a hundred million. It probably will in the US, yeah. yeah. Off yeah. a five million budget. I mean that that's staggering. Yeah, and again, producer Jason Bloom, uh, I like what he's doing. He he know he like that he is a horror genre guy because he knows it's going to make money. But he just he gets filmmakers, he gives them the money, and he lets them get on with and it. And as well, you he know. doesn't throw too much at stuff so that they can be called disasters. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, he he's very, yeah. very smart. He doesn't say to them, "Oh, Insidious." Um, you give, we had, we had one and a half million for Insidious, and it made, you know, over a hundred million worldwide. So here's thirty million. It'll be thirty yeah. times better. Go on, go do it. It was right. Well, you know, what can you do it for? There's, there's, there's obviously some kind of control there, and. You know, I, I'm not a fan of paranormal activity movies, um, but I've liked a lot of the other stuff he's done. You know, he seems to be he, he seems to be doing a certain type of horror movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's it just his his kind of respect for filmmakers. I mean, filmmaking like all the all the people he work works with sings their sings his praises. Like I know. Rob Zombie was very, very, very complimentary towards him when he produced Lords of Salem. Mm. Just, just saying, look, this is, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And he was just like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this money. You make the film you want to make. Yeah. And he made Lords of Salem, which for me is his strongest film. So it's, I like the, I mean, the, I mean, the paranormal activity films are basically gimmies at this point in, ter- in terms of money. But, I mean, Dark Skies was more interesting than it probably had any right to be. I wasn't a massive fan of it, but it was better than it probably it should have been. You know, I mean, it, the Insidious films are, are fine. I think he, yeah, I think he produced The Purge, uh, which I wasn't a massive fan of. But again, it was it was doing something different. Yeah, it, 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 I, mean, it's, I haven't seen The Purge, but my feelings about the purge going into it are I think it's an idea more than a film and they've made a film up an idea and that's, yeah, yeah, that's not a good idea right. yeah yeah I mean that, that is it but I mean I just I have respect for pretty much everybody involved in in th- this film uh, Lee one L, James one Jason Bloom Patrick Wilson Rose Byrne you know g- good on good on all of them and if the if the budget was only an increase because people got bigger paydays, do you know what? Fair enough, because Insidious made a fucking shitload of money. Mm. 
and this one's going to as well. So if people get a bigger payday out of it, good on them. Yep. Why not? That that that's the idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, definitely not shit. Not def- definitely not shit. Definitely not shit. Thoroughly enjoy it. And um, yeah, and uh, and there we go. So good stuff. Um, so we'll take a break for some promos, and then we will get into some one old, one new. Cool. Hi, I'm Sarah from GorePress.com, and along with my co-host Phil, we present the GorePress Gorecast. But Sarah, what is the GorePress Gorecast? Well, Phil, I'm glad you asked. It's a weekly show in which we review horror movies, discuss our love for the genre, and generally just blunder through, showcasing our startling ineptitude at podcasting. Hello, and welcome to another... Go- oh, for fuck's <laughs> sake, no, that's not helping! That sounds ridiculously professional. That can't be all we do, can it? It certainly isn't. We also try and talk a little bit about what we've watched recently and selflessly plumb the depths of B-Movie Hell so we can inform you, our loyal listeners, about what to watch and what to avoid. Well, that just sounds dandy. Where can I find such a podcast? Well, Phil, you can subscribe to us by searching for the new Gorepress Gorecast in iTunes or you can find us at gorepress.com. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick, the man should, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I could handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively, but if I have no other choice. Horror. And romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back. For just one more adventure. Humans are such an easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures of VHS or visit adventuresofvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. That's just, just getting confirmation. It's just in English. That's the third time, though. I mean, am I, is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenser.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who would keep a secret. 
Okay, Koki, and we are back. Those were some promos, as you know. And let's get into some one old, one new. Mark, start us off. What are you going to cover first? Bro? I'm going to throw my one old at you. I think you know what I watched, don't you? Uh, oh, God, yeah. All right, let's get into it. Right. Um, after our, <laughs> our, our brief discussion um, on um, the last show about... Um, the Terminator debate, whether or not Terminator 2, Judgment Day was the better of the Terminator films, or whether Terminator was the better of the Terminator films. Uh, I decided that it wasn't fair of me to make that judgment because I hadn't watched Terminator 2 um, for such a long time. Um, so I thought, right, I'll, I'll go back to it because all the things that annoyed me about it uh, all those years ago might not be there anymore. Um, you know, the, the first time I watched it, obviously, I was... 10, 11 years old um, and then the last time I watched it I think I was maybe in my early 20s and was going through that you know, film snob douchebag phase um, so I thought right, I'll, I'll give it another go and see if the bits that annoyed me no longer annoyed me and one of my key bits that, that did annoy me about Terminator 2 Judgment Day um, was the uh, was Emma Furlong, now I don't dislike Furlong as, as an actor uh, I just thought he was terrible in this. Uh, didn't annoy me anywhere near as much as I thought he was going to, to be honest. Um, he he was fine. Um, I other point that, that annoyed me about it in my brain that I still remembered being annoyed about it was uh, Linda Hamilton, which still annoyed me. Um, there's still points in the film that I think are frankly dull and uh, points in the film that I think are just plain retarded the fact that she seems to have hooked up at some point with a Mexican cartel to me just seems too far a, a step way too far but what I will say is I, I did enjoy it it's it's stupid but it's fun um I, if, it's one of those films where if I wanted to, I could be an arsehole and I could pick it, all the bits that annoy me and pick it to pieces. But I thought, but then again, I am enjoying a lot of it. And for a movie that is 300 years long, um, I, I did <laughs> enjoy probably, you know, 200 of those 300 years. So... <laughs> You know, I can't really look back at that. Uh, the uh, you know, I had a discussion with people on, on Twitter about it. Yeah, it kind of went mad. Yeah, it was just you, you, you and me. Well, you mentioned it, and then literally, there must have been about forty or fifty tweets between. Yeah, people. which is great, and that's what I love on Twitter. It was the bouncing around where you know you had people saying well, what they liked about Terminator Two, people what you know saying what they liked about the Terminator, and, and kind of going against two and that that. As the movie debates that that I love having on Twitter, it's that a lot of people who are not saying, well, you're an arsehole because you think that, or, well, no, this is shit, and nobody was saying, you know, well, that was shit. Because I, I don't think this is... It's not a bad film, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, at all. You know, I jokingly, you know, said that bits of it were terrible, but, you know, part of that is just... You, you, you're doing it just to be a bit of a jerk... as a jokey-jerk thing. Um... But, you know, it, it, that that was a great little conversation, but it did go through. And a lot of people uh, were saying, you know, that how, how much it's dated. Um, and the thing is, is Terminator 2 Judgment Day has dated 
But the effects haven't dated as much as I expected them to have dated, to be honest. It still looks pretty fucking good. Um, but my issue is, is the ideas between this and the first film are are so far apart. Uh, and there are bits that, that I just can't get over. Like, uh, for instance, right, is John Connor has been raised by his mother to the point of in the Terminator films that he knows what happens and he now has, has worked out that the machines are going to send a Terminator back to kill him as a kid. So what does he do? He, he sends a Terminator back to protect him, himself as a kid. What does he do? He sends back the same Terminator that his mother was terrified of. It, it, it's a little bit like he's playing the ultimate prank on his mum. Do they have any other, like, for T-800s, do they have any versions that look anything other than Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, no, I don't think they do. But it, it's a little bit like he could have sent back some kind of warning or something. It just felt a little bit like, like you know... What what warning was he going to send other than another person? Well, that's send another person, then. I think, don't they, don't they have something in there about only being able to send back one thing? Yeah, but but it worked sending a person back last time, so why would he send a Terminator anywhere? Because the threat's stronger! But yeah, well, but, I don't know, you could have given him a different face. Well, how are they going to give him a different face if that's the only model, that like, version they have? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that it just feels a little bit They're gonna convenient. They're going to put a wig on him and some fucking blusher or something. Yes! Nah. I'm just saying, it's, that's the sort You're of... You're picking holes where they don't need picking. That, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, they're the sort of bits where I could pick. But I looked at it and thought, you know what? I don't want to. Because it, it, I, it's, I enjoyed it enough to go... Do you know what? Yes, I have issues. I still don't think it is a patch on the first one at all. Uh, but I enjoyed it enough to say that I have now made peace with Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I will... I, I do you know, I've been itching to re-watch the entire franchise for a while. Um, because I, I, I kind of do want to watch Terminator 3, and I am intrigued by a second viewing of Terminator Salvation. So I'm thinking, the thing is, before the end of the year, well, before before the kids born, mm. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I want to go back through every single Coen Brothers film and I want to, I want to go back through an awful lot of Scorsese and Scorsese that I haven't seen before. So I, I've got quite a lot on my, on my plate back catalogue wise, but I would, I am very, very much wanting to go back and rewatch the Terminator films. So, as and when I do, I will update you on the progress. But as of as of today, I st- I prefer Terminator Two, and I think it might again though that might be a nostalgia thing because Terminator Two, like when I first watched Terminator Two, I was like nine or ten, and it was like the CG was fucking amazing, the action was fucking amazing. It was like world expanding in terms of what action films could be for me to me at that age. Whereas the Terminator is a, a fun, solid sci-fi slasher. Had you seen the Terminator when you saw T two? No. So that was the first one you saw. Was yeah. Was, was, yeah, was, yeah. Ah, right. See, I, I, I have very fond video memories 
of the Terminator. Um, so and, and I saw that, you know, a couple of years before I saw um, T2. You know, I think I saw Terminator in like the late 80s, early 90s. Late 80s, probably, yeah. Cause I, saw, I, I definitely saw it before I saw Terminator 2. Yeah, so, I mean, that that might be it as well. But I will... I haven't seen... I, I can't remember the last time I watched The Terminator, but it would have been on DVD. I know that. Terminator 2, I've watched it on Blu-ray once. And, I mean, that Blu-ray's been out for years. Terminator 3, probably been 10 years. Terminator Salvation, I only watched it once, and that was when it was in the cinema. So... I, I'm looking forward to going back through them. I will say. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think, hope, I, think you know. um, I think uh, Stuart Barr, Max Reynolds, summed up T Terminator Three perfectly with "It's a great ending with a shit film attached to, to the rest of it." Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I yeah. I, I, I think I'm pretty much there as well. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So yeah, we'll see. so Terminator Two. I no longer dislike it uh, at all. It was it was a solid action movie, um, and it's it, it, it. But it already was number two in my. If I was grading the um, Terminator movies, but then again, if anybody has three or four in their top two Terminator films, then frankly, they need to take a long, hard look at their lives and what went wrong. And I mean, I will say, and I said, well, at least we can agree on one thing: Alien is better than Aliens. And barely anyone said anything. Yeah. So there's at least one fucking argument. One thing I, I will say is um, I did actually used to work with a guy who said that he was a really big film fan and that Terminator 3 was his was the best of the Terminator films and was oh, one yeah. of his top ten films of all time. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I'm sure this is not related, but it might be. He's now in prison for exposing himself to children. That's not even a joke. He is in prison for exploiting himself to children. Good stuff. I the, the two might not be, you know, they, I don't know, could be related. Terminator 3 might cause you to uh, exploit yourself to children. Well done. Go on then, Ian. <laughs> What's your first one old, one new? Blimey, Charlie. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll go for my one new and, uh, if you've just done an old. Um, Yes, yeah, so this is um, basically I last night I was in bed and, uh, you know, Donna had fallen asleep and I was still a little bit awake. And I figured I'll have a look at what's on Netflix and, um, you know, stick stick something on, just watch half an hour of it and then watch the rest tomorrow or something like that. You know, ended up watching the whole thing, uh, which which probably says something. Uh, so this is this is a film that played. I, I think it played Tribeca last year, and I think it might have played like Sundance London perhaps this year. Um, but I don't know. But it's on Netflix UK now. Um, uh, it's a, a film called Supporting Characters. Um, now, this is uh, who's it directed by? Daniel Schechter, um, who I don't know at all. Um, he hasn't really done anything I've ever heard of. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this stars um, Alex Karpovsky, um, who's in Girls. He's uh, do you do you watch Girls? I I don't watch Girls. I keep meaning to watch it, and then I end up watching something else. Okay, so um, but for anyone who has uh, who does watch Girls, uh, he's not Hannah's 
on-off bloke. Uh, that's Adam Driver. Um, he's the one who gets with the girl who's the virgin in Girls. Um, so, yeah, I can't remember his character's name, character name. Uh, but, yeah, it stars him and this guy, Tariq Lau, who also uh, co-wrote, the, uh, co-wrote the screenplay. Uh, they play... Um, uh, Karpovsky is an editor and uh, Tariq Lau is his assistant editor and they're working on a film which is being directed by uh, a guy played by Kevin Corrigan um, do you know who Kevin Corrigan yes. is? yeah okay yeah, I, I thought you did so yeah um, and, and he's he's in it kind of briefly it's more than a cameo but but barely um, and but so yeah, they're they're working um, they're working on this uh, this and um, Kapowski's character Nick is going out with this girl Amy, um, played by Sophia Takal. Um, they they met on the internet and they're they're getting married at some point, but it kind of feels like one of those very long engagement type of things, um, and it, it kind of seems like he's not entirely settled and things get a bit crazy when uh, the star of the film they're editing, Jamie, played by Ariel Kebble, uh, kind of runs, like, kind of walks into the editing room and, like, they strike up a conversation. They start having a friendship and there's a bit of a will-they-won't-they they kind of thing. So is he going to cheat on his girl, on his fiance or not? And then Daryl, the assistant editor, has been going out with the girl Liana, played by Melanie Diaz. Uh, they've They've been going out for, like, four months and he seems to be more into her than she's into him and it kind of goes on so it's it's them they're, they're both their relationships while they're kind of in a high pressure trying to get this this film edited and like uh nick is offered a job editing another film but they don't have the money to pay for daryl as well so it's like is nick gonna split off and daryl too so there are all these kind of like what's gonna happen with all these kind of interpersonal relationships um and yeah i mean it's it's rather slight um, I, I, I thought very much of Drinking Buddies in that way, in that, it, it, you, you know, you won't think of it at all afterwards, but you'll have you'll have a decent time watching it. And what, what I liked about it is it 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 doesn't feel like a kind of a rom com drama, which uh, and it's more drama than it is comedy, really, uh, which has been kind of like poured over by producers and the script's been rewritten shitloads of times because the talent aren't happy with the way things are going. It feels very earthy and it feels very real. And the way things play out don't feel contrived and they feel like, okay, that actually, you know, the the things just make sense. It almost, it almost sounds like it's damning it with faint praise, just saying things make sense in the film. But yeah, the way that movie logic goes with these kinds of things, you know, you you kind of expect someone to realise the error of their ways and, they, you know, the whole rushing to the airport kind of bollocks. Yeah. You know, none of that happens here. It, 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 it's like, it looks like things are going to go one way and then they kind of go another way and then they go back the original way again and, and, thing, and, and whatnot. And there, there are scenes that play out. I mean, there, there's one particular scene where it feels rather unbelievable and then the very next scene... The, the, the two the, the, the two people are kind of arguing about the unbelievable thing that just happened in in, in the previous scene because it, it, like, there's something that happens and they're trying to keep up appearances and yeah you know, it's like a public thing and then the next scene it's a kind of rejection of what happened in the previous scene it's but it like like I say it, it just it, it it feels like a film made by people who felt like telling this story and it kind of felt like there were some real life experiences actively going on 
in the film. And I mean, like the whole the whole grass is greener on the other side thing is is uh, kind of a conceit that's that's worked on in in quite a lot of films. But it's a very well, actually, I say that, but maybe not because it's a very male thing. It, it like that that whole kind of like the you're happy being happy with someone, but then like thinking, oh well, you know, maybe if I wasn't with this person, I could get with this other person, then my life would be so much better, you know, and, and, and kind of like basically growing and maturing and understanding that that is not the way at all, you know, and and, and being happy for for what you've got, but then maybe it's too late. It's these very, it's very bloke kind of centric in that kind of way. Uh, and I, I think it actually plays out really well. I mean, the performances are solid. Uh, it's like 89 minutes long, or 87 minutes long. So it, 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 it's very much in and out. You know, it, it doesn't belabor things. And I mean, th- there were moments that I thought were genuinely funny as well. I had a couple of laugh out loud moments with it. So I, it, it, it's not a world changer. It's not going to be in my top uh, top 10 at the end of the year or anything like that. But it's a side watch. Yeah, for one of those, oh, this looks kind of interesting, I'll stick this on kind of films. It works out very well. Yeah, good, I'm sure I shall add that to my list of stuff to, to, to catch. Yeah, like I say, it's on Netflix UK, so, you know, it's it's easy enough to watch it, and it's it's worth a go. Yeah, cool, so I'll give it, uh, give it a go at some point. Good man. So, uh, Mark, let's move on to your one new. My uh, one new uh, is, uh, I'll watch two, uh, but uh, we're covering one on next week's show, so I'll cover the other one. Um, I watched uh, another film that's that's come out of the cinema recently, uh, The Kings of Summer. Uh, have you seen this? Oh, yeah, no, I haven't. Right. Um, I'm intrigued. I'll go into the details of the story then. Uh, I'll give a brief kind of idea of the story, but stuff that you'd know. But I'll give you an idea of, of, what, I, of what I liked about it. Um, it's the story of a kid called um, Joe, uh, who is he's kind of sort of seventeen, uh, so sixteen, seventeen, he's supposed to be, um, and he lives on his own with his his father, um, and they're getting over the fact that their mother has died, and the daughter, um, he's got an older sister who's a couple of years older than him, uh, and she lives away with at college with her partner. Um, and so for me, that was a, a little bit of a strange thing where uh, very kind of representative of, of, of how I grew up. You know, I grew up with, you know, I lived on my own with my dad. Um, and the, the idea of this film is, is him and his dad don't get on at all. Um, his dad is a bit of a jerk, but you get the idea that Joe himself is a little bit of a, a bit of a jerk as well. Um you know, part of this is you know he's he's coming to terms with the, uh, the death of his mother and stuff like that, and the fact that his dad seems to be very much on the attack. You know, um, his dad Frank is played by Nick Offerman, um, who I think is is he in Parks and Recreation? Yes, he is. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's in Parks and Recreation. Uh, a few years that I, I don't watch, tried to watch it, but it just wasn't for me. Um, didn't not like it, just didn't it didn't get me enough to start, you know, trawling through two, three series or something. Um but I like him as an actor. Um the kid who plays uh Joe Nick Robinson I think is in Melissa and Joey. Uh show that I'm not that familiar with. Um but No. <laughs> um 
yeah, so I think that kind of resonated a little bit with with me. Um, you know, he's not a you know, the Joe is clearly a, a troubled kid, but he's not like he's very much a kid who he's popular enough at school. He's not one of the cool kids, but he you know he's not also on the the fringes of society or anything like that. Um, and he ends up with uh, a friend, Patrick, whose parents are very overbearing parents um, on him, and a another weird kid uh, called Biagio, uh, played by Moses Arias, uh, who was in the Hannah Montana series, which I am nice. more familiar with. Uh, he was a very strange kid, Um and he's quite a weird-looking kid anyway, um, so it kind of fits quite well. You know, he, he's a bit weird-looking facially, and he's only like five foot one or something ridiculous like that. So it, it fits very well. Uh, and Joe decides that he's going to run away uh, and wants Patrick of Gadget to come with him, uh, but he's not going to run away very far. He's going to run away into the woods where they're going to build a house. And they're going to live in that house, and they're going to live off the land, and that's the idea. Uh, and it's a way for him to get away from his dad and become a man. Uh, and so that's what that's what he does. And they go off and they do this and they build his house. And it's it kind of it, it reminded me in a way of um, it, it very much apes towards films like Stand by Me. There's a very much that you know that going off and doing this that will be you know, the first real independent thing, the first time that they have to fend for themselves and that that journey of, of summer, it's the, you can only do that when you're that age. You can only do it when you've got a summer where you've nothing to do. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you're still that age, it's very much that and the fact that they go off and they build this house and this place where they're going to spend the summer you know that's very that reminds instantly anybody who's a Malik fan straight away it's Badlands yeah, and there sure. is that and it reminded me of of that and there's such a, a sweeping nature to it where it, it's you're watching it going fuck I wish I did that when I was that age not that you ran away but that you, that you went off and you found somewhere secluded that nobody else knew about and you you know you fucking you know, you built this house, and it looked the house looks like they've built it. You know, and it, it it feels really good, and it's a really nice film. It goes, it gets a little bit weightier as the film goes on, and it becomes a little bit more. Um, it, it goes to place where you're expecting it to go a little bit more, but by that point, you've built up enough of a relationship with the characters that you can allow the fact that it goes a little bit more conventional. It, it, sure. it feels like that it's right to do that um, and the characters you know the things start to the characters kind of fall more into a conventional pattern than they have done for the first kind of hour of the film but it's it was a brilliant surprise in the fact that for the vast majority of it I, I had a beaming smile on my face it's funny it's it's inventive, it is heartwarming, it is just a really nice hour and a half uh, of filmmaking, you know, there's it never gets too weighty, but it still has it has some kind of punch to it, it's a, it's a very very good film and I was very impressed with it 
That sounds fucking ace. Yeah, I, I, I really, really was surprised by it and really enjoyed it. Um, all the performances in it are, are great as well. Um, it, it, it deals with that that difficult part of adolescence where, it, you know, things can throw, you know, friendships can be broken by the slightest little thing, and that little thing is going to be a girl. And although yeah. it yeah. looks like these um, friendships are going to be gone, um, that what it actually they can be repaired very easily. Solid. Um, uh, to what uh, to what you were saying and what you've just said on the uh, Skype chat. Yeah, it's it, it's it's very 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 good. I was I was I was really Sweet. really impressed with it. Yeah, very nice. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I know Kermode was just like it's what, like one of the best films of the summer, you know, uh, one of those kinds of things. But it got a really small release. Um, and, and even though it had, I know it is actually playing Cardiff at some point, but um, yeah, I'm very 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 into watching uh, into watching this and getting it done. Yeah, yeah, nice. Cool. Right, go on then. Hit us up with your one old. Okay, my one old. Um, what the fuck should I do? I've got a few, and there's two in particular I'm thinking of. Fuck it, I'll do this. Um, okay, so yeah, no, I um, as I said earlier on, I'm looking to um, watch old Scorsese and old Coen Brothers, and uh, I, I I was again on Netflix UK um, uh, the, the other day, and I just thought, fuck it, I'm gonna stick Mean Streets on. Um, it's been it's been years since I've seen Mean Streets. Um, the last time I, I watched Mean Streets, um, I was under the influence of um, some substances, and it was my first watch of it, so I didn't remember a lot of it. Mm. Um, so it was, I know I've seen Mean Streets, and I remembered the main plot bit beats, but it was almost as if I was watching it for the first time. Yeah, uh, which, which was a real pleasure. And you know, I, I think I kind of um, I, I kind of watched this. Uh, the influence to watch this was also by, almost by Osmosis, uh, because the new Arctic Monkeys album has a pretty strong Mean Streets reference in it. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, it, it like there's a there's a refrain in in one of the tracks towards the end of the album where they say like like the beginning of Mean Streets, you can be my baby, uh, which which I thought was quite good. Um, I, I, I don't know. So I kind of had Mean Streets in my mind anyway, funnily enough, because I'm that easily uh, influenced. Um, and it, it is... I, I'm going to say this, because I said this on Twitter, and um, Stuart Barr, Max Wren, I, he said he, he wasn't, but I reckon he thought, I thought this was Scorsese's first film. And But he said it, it wasn't the point he was making. But I basically said that like Mean Streets for as early in his career as it is, he it's ridiculously fully formed. Yes. And it's in I mean, it's insane how Scorsese it is at that point. You know, and, and I mean the I, I, that that Sound of Cinema documentary uh, series that started on Thursday on BBC Four, which I watched the first part of that, fucking brilliant. I've, I've got it. Um, I've got it. Um, Sky Plus. I've not watched it yet. Uh, oh, it's fantastic! It's fantastic. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it tonight. They're, um, they're showing uh, Mean Streets on BBC Four on Thursday night after it, 
because it, it like th- this next part is going to have Scorsese kind of talking about his work in, and I think specifically Mean Streets. Mm. And, and I mean, like the the use of pop music in Mean Streets, the way it not only evokes an era, but the way that it is intrinsically in the DNA of the filmmaking, mm. like the, the the way stuff is cut to the music. And I mean, the beginning of it, with the the, the 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 drum beat of Be My Baby at the start and then how it just cuts and then you got the uh, the kind of the home movies. It's amazing. And I mean the the uh, the the first appearance of well after the brief intro where Johnny Dot Boy uh, kind of explodes the uh, the, the, the post box. Mm. Um the first appearance of Johnny Boy where it's kind of like it's been building up that like People have been waiting for Johnny Boy and like, he owes people money and stuff. And then it just it, it kicks in with the start of um, uh, Jumpy Jack Flash. Mm. Uh, and it, it's the kind of the slow-mo of, of Johnny Boy coming in, acting like he is the hottest shit in town with these two girls on his arms. It's amazing. Uh, it, it is just amazing. And then uh, later on, you've got... Um, the kind of the and again the the whole kind of fully formed filmmaking thing like the 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 the, the dynamism the kineticism of the camera the having um, when Harvey Keitel's getting um, like fucked up in the club waiting for uh, Johnny Boy again to turn up because he's got to pay the uh, the, the, the the guy off um, and it's the camera's like fixed and it's one of those like positioned on his head cameras mm. and it, it, it's kind of like it. it Sorry, yeah, I mean that that was a th- that was a thing that Scorsese was told um, apparently wouldn't work, uh, and was told by um, the cinematographer um, that that wouldn't work because there's quite a lot of that where it, it, the camera is is from um, you're you're viewing it from Keitel's viewpoint. It's Keitel's face. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he was told it won't work, it'll look terrible, it'll look terrible. And Scorsese was adamant, no, your job... Oh, fuck. Your job is... is, is Mark, what? Mark, what? I haven't been recording since we got back. Uh, that's cool, because I have. You have? Yeah. I'm going to leave this in as a um, side of my stupidity. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, that's fine, I'll, I'll edit this one. Are you sure? Absolutely positive, buddy. Yes, my All right, I'll do the next two in a row. Yeah. I mean, if you send me the file, I can do it. It's fine. Yeah, to be honest, pissing out with sort of with big files and stuff like that, sending them stuff like that, I might, I might as well just edit it. By the, time, by the time I've done that, I might as well just edit it. So I'll edit it. That's not a problem. I am so sorry. I paused it when I went for a piss. No, not a problem. I've like, saved it all recorded. All right, I've just got to stop doing that. I've got to stop doing it. I've got to stop pausing I it. always record as a backup. Oh, good man. Well, I am a fucking idiot. Leave this in, Mark, because <laughs> it, a show of how stupid I am. But, oh, fuck. Um, so, yeah, uh, and apparently Scorsese got a little bit uh, annoyed and kind of said, you know, your your job is for me to say, I want it to look like this, and you to make it happen. Yeah. And got a bit like that. And it, eventually, it, he actually apologised um, to... Um, Kent Wakefield, I think it is, who did the cinematography, and said, apologise, I, I didn't want to belittle your work. Cinematography is an amazing thing, and it, it, it is, you aren't just there to do that, but the only way I could get you to do it was to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean that's, 
That's fair enough. I mean, I'm, I'm having a look to see if he actually shot any more Scorsese films. And I don't... Oh, no, he did do Alice Doesn't Live Here anymore. You see, that is one thing it, it is about Scorsese. Is often you find that, that most um, filmmakers are, are very are very stylized and very autoristic filmmakers tend to stick with either one or two cinematographers. Scorsese doesn't. You know, he bounces around cinematographers a lot. He seems to have kind of settled on Robert Richardson yeah. these days, doesn't he? But I, I, I know what you mean. Oh, sorry, Carl. What are um, So I'm just, you know, I just want to see. Oh, that's it. I'm just having a look at. Yeah, actually, well, Robert Richardson didn't shoot Wolf of Wall Street by the looks of it. Even though he was uncredited on World War Z. What? I think he did. He not shoot some of the. Reshoots. Oh, he must have done some of the reshoots. Yeah, I think he did a lot of the reshoots. Oh, that's interesting. Blimey. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like that 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 scene with the um, the song in that scene as well. I mean, it's it's it, 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 I mean, it's it's very much like Goodfellas or Casino in in that way. The way that the the source music does work with that, because I mean, Taxi Driver is different in, in, in that because it is it's like the, it's the Bernard Herrmann score. Mm. Yeah, you know, so it, it, he's kind of mixing it up. But I, I I like the way he's he's very playful cinematically like that. It, it does. It does give it a sense of, uh, you know, a sense of youth, despite the fact that these guys aren't 18, 19 years old. You know, I mean, like, frankly, they should know better, but they, uh, you know, but they don't. Um, and I, 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 I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I, even like, I suppose Harvey Keitel, he's, he's kind of trying to get out of that, but he's, he's being stopped all the time by, by Johnny Boy. And the, the I mean, it's interesting because, like, Scorsese doesn't really ever do that whole kind of... I, well, I mean, I, I suppose Goodfellas, to an extent, the whole um, the friend dragging them down mm. kind of thing. And I, it's... I don't know. The, the, the male relationships in, in his films, I think, are a bit more testy. I mean, you don't get that too much with Mean Streets. I mean, um, there, there are... I mean, there's the, the moment towards the end where, um, like, in the scene where De Niro finds out that... Um, uh, Kaitel's been having sex with his cousin. Mm. Uh, you know, there, 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 there is a kind of a testiness to their relationship there. But I, I, I think it's. I mean, Johnny Boy is is fascinating as well. Um, his whole kind of self-destructive thing, like how he he knows um, Harvey Kaitel's character for the life of me. Charlie. Charlie is that his name? Charlie. Yeah. yeah. Um, he. He, he, you know, the fact that he, he understands that Charlie's trying to help him, but there's some, there's just something in him, which is which is destructive, mm. you, know, you know, and, and the, but it's not the whole kind of angry young man kind of thing. And I mean, obviously, Scorsese and De Niro have, have, have done a few portraits of just self-destructive men, but. They're, they're all very different from each other. I mean, Johnny Boy is very different from Travis Bickle, is very different from Jake LaMotta. Yeah. You know, but they've all got that angry young man thing in them. They, it, it just, they, they come out in different ways. So, De Niro's extraordinary. Yeah, certainly De Niro's, it, it's more kinetic in this. It's more, there's more ferocity there. Uh, whereas with um, Travis Bickle, you know, which would be a couple of years later, there's more, that's more refined and, and peeled back. There's a, there's a there's a point that that's tipped Travis Bickle, you know he's he's had this building up and you get the feeling that that Travis Bickle 
after the events of Taxi Driver, kind of maybe that that was the bit where it all came to my head, and after that he maybe kind of got settled back into a rhythm of being more of a normal guy, yeah. um, who just had this this point in his life where everything crumbled, um, and but you get the feeling that Johnny Boy is that's it, you know, it was all there, you know, to go out. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, no, absolutely. I mean, he's he's already on the edge when uh, when when the film starts. It's it's not really it's not really a character arc. It's like the last five percent of a normal character arc or something like yeah. that. Like it's I mean, like with 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 um, with Goodfellas or Casino, I suppose they have a period of years in which they tell the tale. With Mean Streets, I mean, it's what a few days. Yeah, it, it's 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 not a it's not a sprawling epic, is it? it it's very much. A, Bang! Drops you straight in there, and Cartel and De Niro have got to straight away, you know, give you these people. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Yeah, it, it's not a surprise to, to to hear that Mean Streets is great. No, but it, it's it's it is amazing just how in the zone he was already by this point. Because I mean, it, God, I mean, what? bloody stage of his career was this film. 72 it was his first Third, yeah uh, he'd done boxcar bertha and he was at knocking on my door and they did this oh uh, okay it was uh, i think uh it was um Cassavetes who, who, who john Cassavetes who, who basically told him that he needed to make something good for his next film yeah. Uh, after Boxcar Bertha, which let's be honest, it, you, we've both you've seen Boxcar Bertha, haven't we? Yeah, I'm yeah, sure, yeah, I'm yeah. sure we, we talked about it. it. It's not a good film, you know. No, no, it, it, it's mean... interesting to watch. Mm. Going, you know, because of the career that Scorsese has gone on to have. Um, but when you look back on it, uh, if you were to just watch that and know nothing about, no, no, not know who directs it, etc., and stuff like that, it'd be difficult to look at the the next movies, I mean, the next seven or eight movies he'd make would be Mean Streets, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Taxi Driver, New York, New York, which isn't as bad as people will always claim it is. It's just a cocaine-fueled mess. Um, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours, Colour of Money, Last Temptation. Good, you know, when was it that he actually made an actual proper fucking stinker? He's not. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, it, that's the crazy thing about uh, Scorsese is, you know, his his stinkers that people would call it, it, his bad films are New York, New York, and Condom, which they're not actually that bad. <laughs> I I have New York to, New York to watch. I've never seen it not, before. I, so I, I I defend New York, New York. It is a mess. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's a mess because Scorsese was basically just living on coffee and cocaine and, yeah. you know, kept on saying, well, I want to do this, and there was nobody saying, why? You know, and, and you know, he, he could basically spend as much as he wanted. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to send you a picture. I had this picture, <laughs> right, on my door, and it was, if you imagine, this picture took, it was the back, the back of my door, um, uh, was this picture, and it took up the entirety of the back of my door, um, and it was about maybe three foot um, high, and going across the full uh, width of the back of my door, and it was this picture. 
from about aged about 13 to when um, I left home. So about two and a bit years. Okay. I've just sent you across on Skype. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, nice. It's that picture. And the picture that yeah. I sent uh, Ian is, um, it's basically Johnny Boy waving a gun. And that is what I saw every morning. And it was above my mirror. Um, <laughs> <laughs> every morning, I looked at that. And it was my it was my kind of, yep, there we go. Bloody Charlie. <laughs> I know. Fucking says a lot about my youth. <laughs> I, I, I will just say as well, um, the guy shooting Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Rodrigo Prieto, um, who shot Argo. Oh, uh, oh nice. Yeah. Um, oh. Sh- shot a lot of Inaritu, um 25th Hour, 8 Mile. Um, yeah, rather gritty by the same. You know, he also did Wall Street Money, Never Sleeps. Um, uh, that yeah, that looks- does look nice to that film. Yeah, true, true. Um, yeah, so there's there's that. I wonder if it's 35 mil or um, it's, digital. It's 35 mil, I think, yeah. Is it 35 yeah. mil, is it? He's gone back to 35 mil. Oh, I sweet. Think, I think I'm sure of that. Um, Ken L. Wakeford, who was the um, DP on Mean Street, uh, he also did uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, um, and he also was the DP on China O'Brien 1 and 2. Nice. And the yeah, the Bola Young film, um, Ironheart. <laughs> Fucking hell! I've seen like loads of his movies. <laughs> um. Oh, okay. For, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, uh, mainly thirty-five mil using um some sort of Canon digital camera for um some scenes. Uh, aerial scenes, apparently. Aerial footage, because it's good in low light. So, there you go. Um, yeah, so... And, and, oh, and, well, there you go. Uh, it was a conscious decision made by him and his DP, Rodrigo Prito, to choose the formats the most suited the project. Um, fair enough. Uh, that was on um, uh, nofilmschool.com. Um, so, fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, there, that's uh, Mean Streets, and uh, I'll probably talk about New York, New York, and Alice doesn't live here anymore at some point um, on, on the show. And, uh, right, okay, so we're going to go a bit forward in time now. Uh, we're going to um, room over to uh, Wednesday, uh, which will probably wait, be when this show is out, to uh, finish off the rest of the show. It, uh, pardon me, <laughs> sorry. Um, here is a clip from the trailer for, actually, probably just the trailer for George A. Romero's Night Riders. And we will get into it. Once courageous knights roamed the land, searching for adventure. Ready to brave any challenge. Knight Riders. The knight is a fighting machine, disciplined in mind and heart, and noble to the death. Knight Riders. Action. Adventure. Romance. 
heraldry, pageantry, and magic. Magic got to do with the soul, man. Only the soul got destiny. Night Riders, they ride for the crown, they fight for honor. That kid thinks I'm evil Knievel. That kid thinks you're William the Knight. You're his hero. I'm not trying to be a hero. I'm fighting the dragon. Following a dream as far as it will take them. Because a legend lives as long as someone believes. This isn't just a roadside carny anymore. Not for some of us. It's a lot more than that. It's a whole lot more. You know that, Morgan. You guys is the most fun I got in my life. I just don't see you all breaking up. You think it's breaking up? It's money, Billy. It's all to do with money. Money makes the world go around, even your world. Small town jails is uh, uncomfortable places. <laughs> Damn uncomfortable. Throw down the gauntlet. Take up the challenge. A new age begins. Romance and adventure live. the trailer for Night Riders. It's the next part of our George A. Romare No Zombies Marathon. <coughs> Pardon me. Excuse me. Uh, sorry about that. Um, future Wind. Oh, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're blowing in from the future. We're now on uh, Wednesday, and uh, we are both here, and we have now both seen Night Riders. Uh, 1981, I believe it's from, uh, stars Ed Harris and Tom Savini, as well as a few other faces from some Romero films. And what's the story? It's basically kind of a traveling community of medieval cosplayers who use motorbikes instead of horses. Uh, there's tension between Ed Harris's king and Tom Savini's Black Knight. Uh, and Ed Harris is an arsehole for pretty much the entire film. Mark, what did you think of Night Riders? Um, well, as I say, I saw Night Riders when I was about sort of ten, um, and had a bit of like I went into it with nostalgia, uh, which I think with this type of movie can often aid your experience with it. Um, uh, and I sort of like I say, but I hadn't seen it for twenty odd years, so I went into it sort of quite excited because I remember it being good and it being this, you know this rip-roaring tale of, you know, people who you know, replaced horses for motorbikes and it's got all that and it's it's funny and it's a little bit... I hate to use the word camp, so I'm not going to use the word camp, but it's a little bit knowing of itself. It, it's... It, I remember it being a little bit more sort of um, spoofy than it was. Um, but watching it now, uh, all these years later, you kind of look at it and it's... It's... An original film, so it's not based on an existing um, any existing text or stories or anything like that, and it's so unique and it's so one person's idea and one person's vision that you're watching it and you feel a little bit like you're watching Romero get a lot of shit off his chest. There's a lot. There's there's so much going on where it's it, it, the film is 
so much more than just its core story, but it goes on avenues that it really doesn't need to go on, and that you're kind of like, all right, so so you're gonna tackle, for instance, homosexuality. Oh wait, no, you're not. You you you're just gonna drop. All right, and now oh, and then there's a bit where you go, oh, you're gonna tackle um you know racism. Oh no, you're not. That was just a throwaway line. All right, um fuck. And there's, there's there's so much going on whilst at the same time there's not really a lot going on. Yeah, that that's that is summing it up perfectly. Um, I mean that the actual the bare bones of the of the main narrative, which I suppose is like the people disbanding, uh, the Black Knight and his cohorts trying to like, like get fame and fortune, and then everybody reuniting. Would probably take about an hour and twenty hour and twenty five minutes of any other film's time. Yeah, but yeah, Romero is chucking so much stuff. I mean, that that bit actually doesn't even really start happening until halfway through in. the film. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that that first hour or so is actually is actually sort of quite you know it's quite interesting, it's quite watchable. But the problem is, is that's watchable. Bless you. That's watchable. Thank you. Um, and then the other part of it's watchable, but when when you sandwich them together, it kind of goes, hang on a minute. So what was like the first what the first half an hour I can get, but what was the second half an hour? What was the point in that? Uh, couldn't we have cut that out and just got to this story? It, it's I'm all for a director putting out what they want, and you know that's two hours twenty five minutes. In some, for some directors, is perfectly fine, uh, and there is. There is enough there for two hours twenty five minutes. I'm just not sure whether that there needs to be enough there. To to me, it felt like the film got away from him a bit. Yeah. Because um, like I mean, literally the first forty five minutes is setting up this world and and the and the, the jousts, mm. and it's not that complicated a premise. <laughs> yeah. You, you kind of are going, okay. We 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 kind of we kind of get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I mean the the relationships it set up, sets up, I think, are quite interesting. Like what, one of the things I most enjoyed out of the film it, it is the relationship between Tom Savini and Hedda Harris because they don't hate each other at all. No. There, there's there's not like in in any other film where it's like the lieutenant's getting ideas above his station and he starts like resent like resenting. I mean, there's a, there's an element of resentment here. But he's, he does seem to respect Ed Harris's character. And he is just like, look, you get, you, you're basically, you're getting old and a bit past it. Let me take over. And, it, and it's not like he ever like, has any major big grabs for, grabs for power. I mean, he has that bit earlier on where, early on where the motorcycle ga- like gang have to kind of rescue Ed Harris. But, I mean, that, that's kind of more in setup. I mean, once the the kind of the breakaway team is established. It doesn't become us versus them. No, it, it's, it, it, it's more, it, it's more everybody versus Ed Harris. Said, yes. But, but not in a, not in a, not in a, they're trying, they're attacking him. Or, I mean, it, it's just, look, this might be, you're, you're viewing this one way. Everyone else is viewing it this way. And, and but we like the idea of viewing it this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's very much Ed Harris is the king. He he just thinks everybody should do as he says. And, and, and I mean, I think the idea of 
it, I think it's about the idea of the community kind of spirit. At least like the, the first two thirds or so is the community convincing him that he should listen to other people and whatnot. But then by the end of the film, where he just he cedes it over to Tom Savini's character, and then you've got what is frankly a fucking ridiculous final ten minutes, where it would I think it would work better if Ed Harris's character, if you liked him more through the film and you understood his character's like uh, emotional contemplative journey. But to me. It was basically a man who's been battling with some sort of mental illness taking over his life that just lets him consume it. And then the final 10 minutes is basically a raving lunatic going going around and doing his own thing and it not making any sense whatsoever. I like the to him the finding the policeman and beating him up and then everybody just clapping. Yeah. Uh, it, it, uh, it brutal. Um, him going into that school. <laughs> well, did you think did, by that point? Because th- let's be honest, I'd been watching the film for about two weeks by that point. So yeah. when he went into the uh, the school, I thought, ah, oh, fuck, has he got a kid that he's deserving? Yeah, so, that's exactly why. And then when he saw the kid, I went, oh no, it's the kid that he basically he, the, the, kid, the kid whose dreams he shat on earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 I, that's the thing. I mean, like the, his character's arc is so weird because I mean, it's set up at the beginning that odd opening scene where he's just naked <laughs> and like sleeping in a field. Um, and, and, and I mean, like he, he he just seems to t- he he takes it more literally than anyone, including his partner. Mm. Even she's not as into it as he is. No. I mean, maybe maybe the doctor. Maybe because he seems to be completely playing playing along, but it just—I think he—he's—he's he's just got. It, it's become. It's never been a way of life for um, for Ed Harris' character Billy. It's become an obsession for him, and he's—he's he's fallen so fucking far down the rabbit hole that he can't yeah. scrape himself out, and he can't see the logic behind it, and even when somebody explains the logic to him, um, he then creates a logic to disagree, an illogical logic to disagree with it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's... And, I mean, the thing is, I think I think we are... Romero does want us to get on side with him, I, I, I think, and I, I just don't at all. And I think that is a failing of the film. I mean, Ed Harris is not the most um, uh, relatable Sane? actor. Sorry? Sane actor? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, exactly. I always get the feeling with Ed Harris is that he's a little bit like he, he doesn't really know he's in movies. Like he's some kind of real-life Sam Beckett. And what happens is, is Ed Harris just gets portaled to these different film roles, and it, that is it. That's just I imagine that Ed Harris just went home like that, and yeah, and, yeah. and just like the next film role will be like I don't know, like the Journey Home or whatever, and that's what it is. He just he's he's fucking intense, and yeah, it it, it makes him quite unrelatable in this film. Yeah, no, yeah, quite. And I mean, I, I think I, I, in a way, I think I can see what Romero saw in him, just like the the stoicism, uh, you know, the, the the strong 
male character. Like, he is a strong male. It's just, you don't really get on board with him. And I mean, to be honest, I was more, I was more into Tom Savini, um, who is, is quite a lot of, Pardon me again. Sorry, fucking hell. He's quite a lot of fun in this. Mm. Um, I mean, he's he, he is very laid back, and the fact that he's not mustache twirling evil, I I did think was interesting. And I mean, frankly, I think the troop would probably be a lot better with him in the lead. You know, um, but I I, it, I, I don't know. It, it it's just a film that buckles under it under its own sheer weight because I mean, like the action is well done and it is fun you know it's it's stuff you don't see every day and some of the some of the stunts look like they hurt like a motherfucker mm. um there's I, too much of it though yeah but that that's the thing i mean especially in that first 45 minutes or so it is an awful lot of them riding around mm. yeah and, and, and i mean it, it it does it does suffer for that i mean i i think it i mean a fair play to romero you know i mean like he's he's yeah, he's trying to hit a home run. He's trying to just have the all-out, like five out of five classic kind of film here. I think. I think he's he's he was at a point like creatively where he had enough respect engendered among the filmmaking community and among actors and whatnot, and that he could get he he could do that. This feels like his film. Yeah, you know, it feels like it's all him. It just. I, 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 you know, it, it needed, it needed a leaner edit. It need, I mean, the, 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 the fi- that final ten minutes is ridiculous, but the final half hour, I mean, the, the kind of the emotional stuff of the film is done with a good half hour of the film left. Like Savini and Harris have made up, you know, I mean, like the characters are kind of back together, and then it's. It's kind of the weird, slow demise of Ed Harris's character until eventually he just kills himself. Mm. Which, which, be honest, you know when he kills himself and, and, and he's doing the... and You see him, and you think he's going to fall off the bike or something. And, yeah. you know, that... The Indian kid, the Blackbird kid, who just appears out of nowhere and then just starts following around. Yeah, which, yeah. Which, I, 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 I might have missed it, but that isn't really even really explained why that kid now just follows him everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. Once the... The, 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 um, the lorry hits him, did you... Did, be honest, did you laugh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I actually yeah. laughed and actually just clapped and thought, do you know what? Yeah, why not? Why not? So Laurie hits him and he bursts into a million pieces. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I, but I mean, I really wish it ended there. Yeah, it should, you know, it because, sh- it should have ended there. Because then you've got, I like the idea of him kind of disappearing and then ne- them never knowing what happened to him. You know, it kind of, it almost feels a bit more mythical. Mm. Uh, whereas them just. Like standing around and looking sad, and uh, it, it, it's a weird. It, it, it's it, it kind of feels like the the, I don't know, like the end of Easy Rider or something like that. It's 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 trying to have that kind of effect where it, it shapes you or something, or, or you know, you spent two and a half hours with these characters, and now the dream is dead. Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, I I don't. I feel sorry for the other characters that they get that ending. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they moved on nicely and you got the idea that maybe they were all going to, you know, that that, that, that that community was going to continue travelling and that, yeah. you know, that, that, that maybe they would go and do bigger fairs or whatever and it, it would, it, they'd continue living that way but they'd, they'd use certain things to, to fund it, like the, the 
the fact that it's a spectacle, they use that to fund it. The bits that Ed yeah. Harris was not wanting to go down. Um, but then to go back to it, the way they go back to it, it's like, all right, so it's gone now, is it? Or yeah, it, it yeah. It, it still leaves it a little bit too open. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's um, I, it, it's bizarre. It, it's a really, really weird, misjudged ending. I think. I mean, there's just there's an awful lot of the film that is misjudged. But I would I would give it a mild recommend because it is quite entertaining. Mm. For for most of it, you know, I mean, I, I watched it in like several separate parts and I actually think if I'd watched it all in one sitting, I think my, my view of it would probably be even lower, frankly. But, um, you know, because Tom Savini is entertaining and the supporting cast are entertaining and um, the, the slight kind of early 80s like cheese factor is is looking at it now entertaining. Uh, you know Stephen King's cameo is it's, funny. Yeah, it, I I I, had, I enjoyed Stephen King's cameo. Yeah, I it, 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 there were enough elements here which I would say yeah it's worth a go. I just really 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 fucking wish it was eighty minutes and not one hundred and forty five. Yeah, I mean there is a apparently there is a one hundred and two minute cut of it uh, out there. Uh, I'd like to know kind of what that. I'd like to watch that at some point just to see what remained and what got lost. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I um, I'm going to talk about this on the, uh, next week's show, but um, you know, I'm New York, New York. I I finished watching that this morning as we record, and you know, they, they, I mean, they, there was a there was a cut of that that was like 25 minutes shorter, yeah. and knowing where the excised footage is, there to be honest. You, you could do kind of think, oh, that actually might have been a better movie. Yeah, and um, I, I, I do, yeah, I wonder if Knight Riders would would be the same because I, I do think it, it, it would. I don't, I don't think you'd sacrifice any of the plot or the character or, or even the world. I think you would just trim fat. Yeah, because there is, there's, there's plenty of fat to trim in in that film. To be honest, it's not, it's not the most tight and taut of films, is it? It's quite a, it's quite flabby oh it's i i i i think it's insanely flabby mm. like i mean the sheer amount of flab in terms of a percentage of the of the runtime is really shocking i i i i think and and i mean it's it's weird because i i came up with my rather like tepid reaction to it on um on, on online and quite a few people were like I really, really enjoy Night Riders. I think it's one, of, you know, I think it's one of Romero's best or whatever. And I, I do wonder if that is a case of people looking at it with rose-tinted glasses. I, I, I think that if people grew up with the film, then maybe. But watching it as a first-time watch, nah. I mean, I, I, I could definitely, I could definitely see the fact that you could, it could be a very nostalgia-heavy movie. Like, like I say, I. I had a certain amount of nostalgia for it, and there was bits that reminded me that I was reminded of while I was watching it. And I was like, "Oh, right, I remember that bit, and I remember this bit." And so I think that there's just, there's certainly that element. There was certainly that element to my viewing of it, without question. Um, so I'd be I'd be surprised if if a lot of people went back to watch it, didn't kind of look at it and go, 
All right, so that's it. All right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, it's certainly the the one that we've covered so far that I like the least, but definitely not shit. No, it's, 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 it's definitely it's definitely not shit. It's far too interesting to be shit. That's why I think it's far too interesting. It's far too. What is whatever George A. Romero has tried to achieve, I think he's achieved. I just don't know whether there was any point in trying to achieve it. I, I, I yeah. I mean, it, it feels like it is there somewhere, but you've got to kind of pick through some stuff. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, but I, 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 I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I finally watched Night Riders. I can, you know, I can tick that off the list for sure. And it's worth saying as well the um, the Blu-ray again. Glenn uh, Chapman lent, uh, lent it to me. Thank you very much, Glenn. Um, the the Blu-ray looks great. Um, did you did you end up getting the Blu-ray? Uh, I I I've ordered it, but it hasn't arrived yet. Because, uh, okay. Because I have Amazon yeah, Prime yeah. that I pay fifty pounds a year for. Really? Yeah. It, literally, I've had one thing for the next day on Amazon Prime. Everything. That's embarrassing. Mm, shit, innit? But yeah, literally, literally everything takes like three or four days. I tried, I don't know, I tried the Amazon Prime pre trial. It, it was always next day. Yeah, for me, I, it used to be. Um, last year, year before, I've had it, I've had it for three years now. Uh, and last year, year before, I could order it on a Monday, be here on Tuesday. But this year, it's order it on, order it, um, yeah, order it Monday. Expect it to be here yesterday, and it's still not here. Blimey. That's shit. Um, right, uh, but I, I think, considering we're talking about that, are we done with Night Riders? Uh, I, think, I don't think I've got much else to say. Um, like I say, it, it does, it, it feels like the sort of film where. I, I can't see Giorgio Romero watching it very often because I just get the feeling that it, 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 it's there's there's subtext in that that because I mean Romero films are filled with subtext and you know you only look at like the Dawn of the Dead and all these little bits that he, that he puts in that are social little commentaries and his way of you know, I, I put an allegory into stuff, and I think there are there's there's pretty many in this, but I think they're far too personal in this for anybody to get them. That's interesting. And I, and I, I yeah, I mean, I, I will say just thinking about it as well. Just the, the bits like the the gay guy, like kind of realizing he's gay, mm. and, and then just like the other guy confessing his love to him, and then that plot that plot threads dropped. Dropped. It's just like what you were saying earlier on, and like. I don't know, I didn't really get what was going on with Ed Harris's girlfriend at the end. Like, why she just fucks off. It did seem... They never really seemed to like each other that much. I mean, at the start of it, when he's doing the whole whipping himself in the lake thing, um, she's kind of looking going, Oh, fucking hell. I made a yeah. big mistake. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's... I don't know, I... I as a chilling portrait of mental illness, I think there's actually something to Night Riders. But um, yeah, anyway, uh, so that was uh, that was Night Riders. Uh, was it? Oh, are we done? I think I think we're done. Yeah, uh, I think if we start talking about it more, we'll be we'll be slipping at the Night Riders 
thing. I, I, yeah, just, Knight Rider Syndrome. Yeah, we'll, we'll get Knight Rider. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, okay, so that's the uh, that's that part of the uh, George A. Romero Zombies Marathon done. And I think next week it's going to be the only one... Yes, it is. The only one of these films that I've actually seen previously. Monkey Shines. I, I think that's the only one of these films that I've not seen. Ah, oh, nice. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about Monkey Shines. Uh, I, I, I am, because, like I said, so far, I've not disliked um, any of the Romero films. Uh, I think he does he, he does seem that I am developing, um, noticing that he does have a certain style to his films. Uh, and you're starting to pick up on that, because I don't ever really sort of focused on the his horror output. And I've watched his non-horror output sort of sporadically messed around. I think when you start watching them close together, that's when you start picking up this at this kind of this feel that his films have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, it's um, I'm going to be intrigued to see what you think. Cool. Uh, so uh, let's move on into some listener feedback and Twitter questions and whatnot. We have an email, and um, I'm not I'm not going to say who the email emails from, well, their the real name anyway, because. Uh, uh, we've had an email from him before, but he said that he didn't realise that Hotmail automatically puts his name on things, and so and he doesn't use his real name in the computer world. So just say it's from Ogre Six or Ogre Vi. I'm assuming that's six, and I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the first paragraph because he's just kind of explaining that, which is fair enough. He says we can use his we can call him anything, but you know. Oh, no, actually, it says the name seemed to entertain you, so please use it all you want. Okay, Richard J. Winters III, oh, which is an incredible so name. beautiful. If you, put, if you put third or fourth, anything like that after your name, it instantly just makes you a little bit better. Yeah, defo, defo. Um, yeah, defo. I mean, like if you were the second, then you'd be number two, and that's not good. Yeah. Uh, so, he writes... I was so excited when I heard the name of your new marathon, George A. Romare No Zombies. I immediately thought, okay, the crazies, Martin and Bruiser, this is going to be great. So, of course, my heart broke a little bit when you said you weren't going to do Bruiser and broke a little more when I learned that Mark disliked it so much. I haven't watched it since it was new, but I really enjoyed it quite a bit back then. I'll have to watch it again and write an impassioned defense of it to you guys. Or, you know, maybe I'll discover that Mark was right, in which case I'll just sulk. While I'm thinking about it, Lynn Lowry from The Crazies and also Cronenberg Shiver will also be a, always be a favourite. I love her weird little alien face. She couldn't act a damn, but she was nice to look at and always seemed to come to a messy end. Thinking that might have been the like the sissy spacesick-esque girl from The Crazies. Yes. That would make sense. Uh, anyway, the main point of writing, he says. Uh, the question about refusing to watch movies that star or are directed by particularly disliked people is a good one. There are very few actors or directors I really dislike, but there are some. For example, I would probably enjoy Machete, and I'm sure I'll get around to watching it eventually, but every time I consider picking it up at the video store, I think, am I really going to put up with 100 minutes of Jessica Alba and put it back on the shelf? Still, flat out out refusing to watch any movie that includes a particular actor is a little silly, I think. I mean, there are other people in the movie too, you know. I still enjoy Sin City, I just skip past their scenes. Skipping past the uh, uh, the uh, d- dancing bit, fair enough. I oh, 
Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry. Uh, okay, maybe if you really hate Tom Hanks, you should avoid Castaway. If you really hate Sam Rockwell, you should be in a rubber room somewhere. But also, your keepers shouldn't make you watch Moon. Still, you might be able to enjoy Philadelphia and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Even so, and there's only one way to find out. Directors are a bit different, though, just because they have so much control over a picture. Uli Lamel films are always a, uh, worth a good uh, avoid. Uh, uh, for example, I only occasionally, in a very weak and shameful moment, find myself watching Blood Rain. But I certainly wouldn't hold it uh, against anyone who declared it a, a, a ban on Uwe Boll. I myself have always had a bit of a troubled relationship with Brian De Palma, sorry, and would watch one and, and uh, love it, get a good positive feeling about him. But then his next film would just be a terrible waste of time. But The Black Dahlia, oh man, I detested that movie. I remember walking into the video store and telling the clerk, Brian De Palma does not get to waste any more of my life. And hey, at least that saved me the bother of actually watching Passion. Passion's all right, damn it. It's not. Uh, I, yes, it is. Uh, I doubt that it will cost me very much. What am I losing? Does anyone think he has another Untouchables or carry in him? And if he does, I no. suppose you'll will say it on your show. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I, you, you will say it on your show and I'll relent and watch it. So it's up to you guys. Let me know if he makes another great picture, but otherwise I'm just going to stay away from him. Okay, now I'm just babbling. I'm not even drunk yet. Thanks for your excellent podcast. I really do enjoy it. Oh, and Ian, does 35mm Heroes not have an email address? Uh, quick one on that. No, uh, it does not. Um, George stopped that. Uh, but if you, if you do have any feedback, if you want to send it to the Dude and the Monkey um, address, I'll be sure to uh, uh, cover it on Heroes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he made some good points there. Um, the, I mean, it's it's why I can watch films with Reese Witherspoon in. Mm. You know, like like I, I I can watch Mud, I can watch Walk the Line because it's not her all over it. But I would, I I'd be caught. I'd be dead before you caught me watching a Legally Blonde film. <laughs> have you ever seen either of the Legally Blonde films? No, of course I haven't. I have. Yeah, of course you fucking have. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things um, where if it's a fully central performance... Uh, you see, I say this, but like I say, I, I despise Drew Roberts, but I've still watched Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, yeah, yeah. But that, but that was for a, that was for a point. It was so that when people, when I mentioned that I can't stand Drew Roberts, and they mentioned Eat, Pray, Love, I can say it was a piece of shit. So I, I put myself through that just so I would have the ammunition for my hair. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean that that's a very very good point actually. The you can't knock. You can't really knock a film unless you actually watch it, which is uh, why before the end of the year I'm probably going to have to sit sit through planes uh, because <laughs> I knocked that quite a bit on Twitter. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, in terms of directors, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I, I tend to find directors behind like bad films are just rather anonymous. Mm, there's there's no there's no director. There's there's plenty of actors that jump to my mind when I go, I really don't like that person. There's no director that sort of jumps to mind that makes me go, oh, I'm not fucking watching that shit. There's, there's a few directors that jump to mind where I think I'm not a big fan of their, their films, but I know in the back of my mind that I'll watch them. I mean, for instance, yeah. I can't yeah, yeah. stand Brett Ratner. You know, no one can stand Brett Ratner. Um, but I've still seen, I would say, most of his films, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, I, I, I'm the same, frankly. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I haven't really got too much more to add. Good email, though. It is a very good email. Thank you very much for emailing. I've seen all of Brett Ratman's films. 
I probably have myself, to yeah. be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh well. Um, and uh, move, moving on to Twitter questions. I mean, a, a related one. At uh, Thomas DJ from uh, Better, Better in the Dark podcast, I believe. At Nocturne Tom DJ. Um, if you could kill one actor's career, who would it be, and what casting would you use as the weapon? Weapon. I like the second aspect of that. Um, I mean, I, I like the question, but it, like the actor's career thing. I mean, Reese Witherspoon um, and um, Oprah Winfrey biopic. <laughs> what and she's blacked up yeah <laughs> that would be amazing only if she had to do her own makeup and actually like her own black up yeah that would be good yeah, li- literally like just um, we're not meaning this in a racist way this isn't a we're not racist but we're not meaning it in a racist way it's just can you imagine the furore that would happen if Reese with a spoon had just sort of slapped a load of something on her face and then just walked out and just did an Oprah Winfrey stuff yeah, exactly. Exactly. That like, would be, that would just, be brilliant. The opening, the opening scene is just like uh, on her talk show, and then just go, and you get a segue, and you get a segue, and you get a segue. <laughs> but it's Reese Witherspoon yeah. doing it. <laughs> I'd, I'd like it if it... Or, or like on the set of Beloved or something like that. You know, you know what I mean. I, just... I, I'd like it if it was if it was a little bit like um, like some kind of like the upcoming bad grandpa thing where. She knows, but nobody else knows. When if she just yeah. she just turns up as Oprah Winfrey in like a proper fat suit and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd watch that. I mean, because I mean, like the thing is, it's like uh, with the word that's coming out about Diana. It's like if Naomi Watts wasn't uh, like a, a massively respected actress already, that's the kind of thing that would be a career killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Reese Witherspoon is Oprah Winfrey. Reese Witherspoon is Oprah Winfrey. Fucking hell, how do I top that? Um, Michael Sarah, just because I fucking can't be done with his age-riddled pigeon face. Um, and he he writes and directs a film called Kid Wanker, where <laughs> essentially it's like it, it's like Trash Humpers, but he just walks up to children and just masturbates on them. That's good. Yeah. So so like like trash humpers, it would have the whole kind of like VHS aesthetic. Yeah, it, it, it'd be like that, and, and and everyone would just go, "Ah, oh, he's he's a pedophile. We don't like him anymore." I hope nobody's listening to this at work, like through actually like audibly through their speakers, so people can hear. Do, would anyone do that with Dude the Monkey? I, 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 I kind very of much fucking doubt it. <laughs> Not with those foul mouth bastards. Uh, um, I mean, actually, actually, just linking to the the ridiculous paedophilia that I just mentioned there. Did you see this article by some bullshit site? Uh, oh, Joe Blow! What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll be honest. I'd never heard of this site. Um, but yeah, what the fuck was that about? Yeah, giving a bit of background. Um, JoeBlow.com, which is the site that's been around for ages. Um, they published an article like hotty watch or something like basically talking about the um increasing apparently this writer wants to fuckness of uh chloe moretz and abigail breslin mm. um and i mean moretz is 16 i think and abigail breslin is 17 i mean she, she's, uh, she's just 16 as well i mean yeah. 16 in like february or something like that even though, I mean, I've got to say that, I mean, like, Kick-Ass 2, like, kind of 
helped along that cause, I think. Like, the first, the first film, when the first film came out, and, like, the Daily Mail was saying, oh, it's sexual, like, Chris Patuki was saying, it sexualizes uh, young girls, blah, 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 and everybody was like, no, that's ridiculous, and it was ridiculous in that film. That charge could be easily leveled at Kick-Ass too, and I think it would actually have cause. It, yeah, I think you could level that, that and I, I completely agree with that, wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, what I would say, though, is for you to write an article where essentially yeah, yeah, you're yeah. comparing two children, and people can throw out the excuse of, oh, well, no, they're legal. This, it's legal to have sex with them. It is, right? Actually, really, it's legal for a 16-year-old in most states, I think, in America and in the UK where we are, it's legal for, to indulge in a sexual activity with a 16-year-old. That is, right? That yeah. law isn't, is more there so 16-year-olds can have sex. Yeah. It, you know, it's still incredibly weird and incredibly que- creepy for anybody, really, I would say, over the age of 19, 20, oh, 19, know. 20, to have sex with a 16-year-old. Yeah, actually, yeah, with a 16, sorry, I had in my mind more 18. Um, yeah, no, okay, fair enough. So, yeah. for this guy to write an article where he essentially admits that he he finds and has found both of them attractive, it is a little bit and to kind of go but you know we were all thinking it like mm, oh, we were. kind of a look around going uh no i don't think we all were you maybe you were um uh, but it, it's a little bit like like he admitted to his mates and went yeah well, I, I, I yeah so what i i, I shirked off to, to, to kick ass too what's so bad about that and nobody there went a lot yeah. oh, a lot's bad about that Really? You need to see somebody. Possibly a chemical castrationist. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, the, the wider thing of that being on what's supposed to be, like, a, a reputable professional movie site, it's, um, I, 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 just the fact that that site would condone that, you know, it, it's, it's very, very... Somebody described yeah. it as, and I saw a few people describe it as, as misjudged, and I think that's in incredibly generous to call yeah that's that's very fucking kind misjudged um i call it a little bit wrong <laughs> yeah no i i yeah no i mean i call it fucking disgusting it's it's icky um it's, it's the ickiest yeah. icky it is. icky it's ever been frankly um and you know the, the, if they wanted to kind of to portray themselves in any good light after it they'd have kind of they'd have pulled down the story and said look it it, it it seemed it didn't seem like that when we when it was conceived and when it was written it was more it was more tongue in cheek but we we now appreciate how it came across it's just made it's like you say it just looks really icky yeah i mean they 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 have taken it down have apparently it down, but they right. haven't they haven't actually commented on it at all oh so that's a oh, shit maybe we should turn this down cuz you know the comments were probably going fucking the comment notifications were bleeping like a motherfucker yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, no dear. <laughs> uh, but, right, okay, let's uh, move on. Uh, at Edge Loaning, Mama, what the shiz was that ending about? Well, I've not seen Mama yet. Uh, so, Ian, what was that ending about? I'm not going to say because it's spoilery. Um, if if you had seen it, I maybe well, would have. Right, right um, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Um, we will answer that next week because I'll watch Mama this week. Oh, there you go, then. We'll put a pin in that question, and we'll come back to it. Cool. And uh, last question. At Very Cinematic, 
It's confirmed for 1st of July 2015. Will Terminator 5 be even worse than Terminator Salvation? Uh, oh, fuck's sake. Um, Fanta Zero does stuff to me. Um, uh, will it be worse than Terminator Salvation? Um, I uh, Probably not. Um, it, I, I like the director. Alan Taylor, I like his work on Game of Thrones, and I'm looking forward to 4, uh, The Dark World. So... Um, We'll see. That nobody's got any idea what it's actually about yet. So, um, I, I, I don't think. Well, I think it's an interesting uh, way to go for a um, for a director. The fact that they've gone for somebody who clearly is a very competent and a very a very good director when you look at the TV shows that he's worked on. Um, I like the fact that they're bringing Schwarzenegger back for it. I think it's a it, yeah. it's a good role. How, how big a role we have, we don't know, but from what I understand, it's more than a cameo. Um, it it depends on how they go with it. If they go serious on it, um, mm. and they go right, we're going to go back to the the ideas and the ethos of the first two movies. I think that we could have a real we could actually have a really strong movie on our hands. It's if they decide to try and make it fun and entertaining in the reign of Terminator 3, that's where it could all fall down. But when you look at the the, 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 the output uh, that Alan Taylor's had and the, the, you know, the, the TV shows he's worked on, it doesn't suggest that. You know, you're not going to go to somebody who is going to make a T3 who's made, you know, Game of Thrones and um, Mad Men, uh, Sopranos and, and stuff like that. Uh, you, you're going to go to them more for something that's going to take it a little bit a little bit closer to the first two movies. Yeah, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? For sure. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, like the whole Terminator Salvation thing. I think it burnt all the, the producers and everybody involved quite badly. That film. Like, no one talks about Terminator Salvation already, and I mean, it's only four years old. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it's the same with T three. I mean, I think with, with Terminator Salvation, it. it it had a lot of bad press with the whole um, Christian Bale thing going in. Uh, well, him kicking off the the DOP Shane Holbert as well. Yeah, that didn't help. Yeah, I mean that that kind of it, it put people already on people's sort of shit lists. Um, yeah, uh, and also as well, if you put at a time, I mean, he's Sam Worthington can be a bit of a charisma vacuum sometimes. And he, he can suck the absolute life out of things quite often. And sometimes he can be perfectly fine. And also, as well, McGee's a terrible director. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I am going to re-watch Terminator Salvation, as I think I was uh, saying earlier on in the show, or three days ago, it actually was. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to, I, I am going to re-watch Terminator Salvation. I'm... I'm I'm rather intrigued because I've only I've only properly sat down and watched it once in the cinema, so um, who knows? But I I don't know. I mean, like I the thing is, like 2015 is such a fucking mental year that I mean, I'm hoping the quality control is high because frankly, if your film's seen as shit, it's I, it, it, 2015 summer 2015 doesn't seem like a year where even if the film's shit, it will be huge mm. because there's too much out. Yeah, it, it, it's. It, it, it all depends on where it gets released as well. It's the 1st of July. 1st of July. Um, which will be, what, it, it's a couple of weeks after, I think it's a couple of weeks after Jurassic World, 
Um, I think Avengers is like May. You see, um, that's it. All, all depends on what you, what you're going up against. I think Star Wars, I think, is like May. I thought Star Wars has been put back to Christmas now. There, there was rumours of that, but I don't think it's been oh. confirmed. Um, I mean, like Pirates has been pushed back to 2016, which was a good idea. Mm. Um, that's but a... yeah, I mean, it, it, like you say, it depends on the placement. But thinking about it. It might. I, I'm intrigued now because launchingfilms.com goes on for fucking ages with the release schedule, and a lot of these have already got. It's it's crazy how films in 2015 have already got like set set in stone release dates. But um, it is it is it is quite strange the fact that now you know it, it, it'll be interesting to see because I can't remember it happening um, as much before. Where I can't remember two years ago hearing that Iron Man three was going to come out. On the day it came out, yeah. well, it'll be interesting to see if in two thousand and um, in two thousand fifteen, if these films do end up coming out on those weeks. I mean, here we oh fucking hell, here we go. Right, this is according to launchingfilms.com, which is the Film Distributors Association website. Mm. Friday twelfth of June, Jurassic World. Friday nineteenth, Assassin's Creed, uh, the Michael Fassbender starring one. So mm. you know that could be big. Friday the twenty sixth, Terminator. Friday the third of July, Independence Day two. Uh, so Independence Day 2 is out the week after Terminator. Uh, two weeks after Independence Day 2, Batman vs. Superman. Two weeks after that, uh, the new Pixar. You know, it, it just... It, and I mean, Star Wars Episode 5 is going to be in there at some point. Avengers is going to be in there at some point. Uh, it, it just... I mean, what else is there that's unconfirmed for... Yeah, Star Wars Episode uh, 7 2015 TBA. It's just, it's it's insane. I mean, when's Interstellar scheduled? Uh, that's next year. That's November. Uh, is, is, it, is it that confirmed now? Uh, I believe so. Let's have a look. See. Yeah, yeah, November next year. Yeah, it's 7th of November. So, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, yeah, 2015's insane. And I mean, like, because I mean, the, 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 uh, the final Hobbit film was supposed to be, oh no, that was 24, uh, summer 2014, then it got moved. Um, yeah, it's, 2015's going to be ugly as shit. It's going to be, it, <laughs> the problem is, it, it, it could end up being one of those years where nothing's good. Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be. I mean, oh, Christ, I hope not with some of the stuff that is coming out. But it, yeah, you're right. Mm. Um, and yeah I think that that's it so um, right on next week's show we'll be reviewing R.I.P.D and we will be taking in the next part the penultimate part of the George A. Romano uh, Zombies Marathon as we take a look at Monkey Shines uh, do the monkey at gmail.com at Ian Loring at DudeFoz at Dude and a Monkey. and uh, Mark have you got anything left to say uh, no no I think we've, we've, we've covered a, a, a wide array of topics Coolio, coolio. Um, right, so thank you very much for listening, folks. Um, we shall speak to you next week and take it easy. Bye bye. Cool. Bye.